What's going on? It's Mark Malusis, Maggie Gray, the Moose and Maggie Show. We understand if you can't listen to all four hours of the show, although we'd recommend it. But here's a podcast for you with the highlights of all the best from the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio, Saturday morning, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Ah, yes, a good Saturday morning to one and all. It is the Moose and Maggie Show coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. We'll be with you for the next four hours here on CBS Sports Radio. Welcome to the weekend and a good Saturday morning to one and all. Hit us up on Twitter at Mark Malusis, at Mackie Gray, or at Moose and Maggie. Three ways you can go about doing that. Hit us up on the phone line, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Good morning, Maggie. How are you? Moose, good morning. Very excited to be here to be talking sports with you for the next four hours. Coming up later in the show, I know it seems like far away from now because right. we have a lot to talk about and a lot to get into. But we're going to talk to Wade Phillips, now defensive coordinator for the L.A. Rams. He has a new book out. It's called Son of Bum. And Moose, I'm reading this book, and things are uttered in this book that I just I wish I could say, but I just couldn't pull it off. Gotcha. Let me give you an example. This one comes from Bum Phillips, of course, Wade's father, who is famous coach for many, many years. He says, there are four things in life I know something about. Pickup trucks, gumbo, cold beer, and barbecue ribs. Wow. <laughs> something that I could never say. I there mean, maybe the ribs. Uh, maybe I got that. Maybe the beer on a good day. Well, you but, could say <laughs> if you grew up in Louisiana. Maybe. Things that I could never utter. I really can't pull off a cowboy hat. It's just not a good look for me if I'm wearing it unironically. So people who can say things like this, I want to talk to somebody who even knows somebody, let alone is related to somebody yeah. who's got this kind of outlook on life. Pickup trucks, cold beer, gumbo, barbecue ribs, I'm all in. And, of course, we'll talk to him about some football stuff. Yes, and looking forward to that. Yeah. And he'll be one of the uh, cavalcade guests that come your way. Over uh, the next four hours, certainly we are interactive and uh, your calls and your tweets. And uh, we finally got a a great game last night in the NBA that went Washington's way over Boston by 192-91, even up that series at three games apiece. Game seven Monday night back up in Beantown. And, you know, Beal and Wall late uh, for the Washington Wizards uh, were able to survive the Celtics, who had a five-point lead. With about 90 seconds to go, maybe a little bit more. I think it was about a buck 34 to go in regulation. They had an 87-82 lead. Washington able to come back and um, outscore them uh, 10-4 down the stretch to to pull out the victory. And uh, it's a huge win for the Wizards. We'll see exactly if we get a great game seven on Monday night. But as we talked about throughout the course of last Saturday's program, Maggie. Yep. You know, these NBA playoffs have not been great. Uh, Charles Barkley this week coming out and saying basically the Stanley Cup playoffs are the best playoffs in sports. He's not uh, wrong. No, he's not wrong. Um, I know it bothers the hockey, non-hockey fan to hear that, uh, but it is true. I mean, the Stanley Cup playoffs are ridiculous as compared to the NBA in terms of pure competition or anything else. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And finally, you know, after all this time, I heard people, saw people on Twitter last night, oh, well, we all deserve this. I, you know, I deserve more than one game, honestly, uh, for sitting through all this dreck. I, I deserve one more. I, I deserve more than just one good basketball game for the amount of time and the hours that I've spent watching dreadful NBA playoff basketball. 
Yes, do I you not? do. Yes. You absolutely do. Can I get one more than one game? No, I don't think you will. Uh, no, you won't until the finals. I mean, the finals hopefully I mean, are setting on. up to be something really spectacular. We all deserve because, this. I mean, for as good as the Spurs are, if Kawhi Leonard's not 100%, I don't see them really posing a massive threat to Golden State. Listen, Greg Popovich is coaching his rear end off. Absolutely. The, the, what they showed against the Rockets, and while the Rockets were completely inept in that game six and totally rolled over, the coaching matchup is something to watch in that Western Conference. But no, I don't think that Western Conference final is going to be great. I think it's going to be five games, maybe six. I don't know if those games are going to be particularly close. Once whoever gets done here, Wizards or Celtics, I think it's going to be Celtics winning a game seven just because no team has been able to win on the road in this series. It just shows how inexperienced both of these teams are. And, you know, they just don't have that that long history of, of, of going through the playoff grind and understanding what it takes to win on the road. That's what athletes will say, Moose. Basketball players will say that the hardest thing to do in the postseason is to win on the road. And right. we're seeing that in this series. So I think whoever wins, I think it's going to be Boston on their home floor. I mean, this the Cavs are going to be so well-rested. This is like a video game where LeBron James keeps, like, you know, his battery power just, like, keeps increasing, you know? Where he's going to be at full strength, I think it's going to be an easy whitewash, maybe five games there as well. So, no, I don't think we're getting a better game until you get to the finals. Hopefully, this game seven in the Eastern Conference semis really delivers, and then maybe we can get something good in the finals. I'm not expecting a lot from both the Western and Eastern Conference finals, no. Yeah, neither am I. And and hopefully we get a great game seven, and maybe uh, hopefully we get a, a great NBA finals. Although last year, when you look back on the NBA finals, it was really one great game. I mean, the rest of them were all blowouts. But um, put that aside, Maggie, uh, you know, for the Wizards, uh, you know, growing and maturation point when you look at uh, both John Wall and Bradley Beal and what Wall was able to go out there and do late for a town coming off a, a disappointing loss with the Capitals, Game 7 loss where the Redskins can't go out there and, and get out of their own way. Uh, you know, the Nats are the Nats. Um, and you look at a Wizards team that – um, for Wall and Beal, you need those moments in order to stamp yourself and legitimize yourself in the NBA. And I, and certainly John Wall had one of those moments last night. Yeah, listen, you know, going to college in D.C., covering sports in D.C. before I moved to New York, I understand the heartbreak is real in Washington sports. There's been a lot of near misses, yeah. you know. And every time you feel like they're about to turn the corner, especially with the Wizards, something happens. I mean, I remember that team and the one that I covered with Gilbert Arenas and Anton Jameson. I mean, they had a shot. They were good. They were motivated, and then all of the nonsense with Gilbert and the guns in the locker room and Javaris Crittenden and and all that stuff just really derailed that organization until John Wall came to be the savior. And Bradley Beal, you know, stepped up as well. What I'm so impressed by with John Wall is his ability to put a bad first half completely in the back of his mind and then come out and be a different person, Moose, and a different player show his versatility in the second half, and then be so clutch in that moment, that three-pointer. I mean, that was sheer will. It really was. You look at John Wall, he is not a three-point shooter. This is a guy who's like 30% maybe from three. You know, that is not his bread and butter. And for him to step up and take that shot, I mean, they obviously were denying Beal, denying Beal, and Boston doing a good job defensively where they almost got an inbound violation because they couldn't get the ball in. But Wall takes it, steps through, and makes the big shot. And I just can't help but realize and wonder, like, I'm still 
trying to get over James Harden and like right. what we did not see in game six and how that could possibly happen and how someone with, who is so talented and is an MVP caliber season and someone who is absolutely the undisputed superstar on their team, how they can completely no show in a game seven, a game six, part of me elimination on your home floor. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that moose. It's been almost, it's been what 48 hours. I can't get there yet. John wall makes James Harden look even worse. Because Wall had to fight through so much adversity. I know Wall's been playing the point guard position a lot longer than James Harden. I get that. But Wall, to me, how he was able to be so emotional, so engaged, step up, make the big shot, realize what was on the line, realize that the crowd was just dying for it, dying for it after the horrible week they had with the Capitals. But... I mean, to me, I think it makes James Harden, and this is not... It makes him look even worse, by no fault of his own. But Wall showed what leadership is. And James Harden, to me, in that game, I unless something comes out that he was had the flu or the wrist was still bothering him, people have been saying maybe he got a concussion in game five. I didn't see it. But there has to be an explanation. You cannot just roll over like that in a game six. No, I'm, I'm not denying that. But also, I mean, San Antonio defends. Boston doesn't. I mean, there, there is. I, I agree with you. If, if listen, James Harden was but the terrible. best defender wasn't even on the floor in San Antonio. I, I understand, but he's not going to go out there and guard. But San Antonio as a team take great pride in def- in defending uh, as a group. They they just do. Uh, and and Boston is not a good defensive team. I mean, they're they're just not. I mean, Isaiah Thomas is one of the worst on ball defenders in the National Basketball Association. Yeah. But I do. When you look at attitude, I do agree with you. When you look at body. Um, body language, composure. Um, I mean, we'll and we'll get more into into certainly Harden here momentarily, but um, and he deserves to be criticized. We'll get into Daryl Morey's comments as well as far as James Harden and coming off that game six loss at home by thirty nine points to the San Antonio Spurs to get eliminated. But um, for Wall, you know, and and for the Wizards, uh, they deserved it. I mean, they were able to fight through late, and he mentioned it in terms of. Of Wall going out there and uh, and and feeding off the crowd and buying into the moment and um, he did everything he needed to go out there and do and you know you had Boston going out there and wearing the black going to the game uh, that didn't work oh. out it's worked out for some it has not worked out for others historically speaking um, you know the the football gods were kind when the Giants stepped off the plane in Arizona wearing the black to the Patriots game in Glendale Arizona that worked it did not work last night. Uh, for the Boston Celtics uh, against the Washington Wizards. But at the end of it, uh, the the Boston Celtics go back home, and I would imagine um, you know they're going to be feeling pretty confident playing in front of their home crowd. No, I think they will also. But can we just stop on the all-black for a second? Can we talk about this? Yeah. Didn't you find it just a little bit eyebrow-raising that they would choose this, this mode and this tactic of motivation Considering that Isaiah Thomas literally just went to his sister's funeral not two weeks ago, to me, yeah, I thought I that was very tone deaf. I, I was surprised. And listen, Thomas was also wearing black, so he found it motivating as well. But to me, I was like, wait a minute, this is so weird. I can't imagine even being the person to bring that up in the locker room, considering how sensitive that situation would have been. Not to mention that the Wizards already pulled this trick earlier in the regular season when they showed up to Boston wearing all black. Well, I, mean, I, I would think feel it very more to... odd about that. I'd say, yeah. well, it's like we're going to a funeral. It's like, we already well, know how th- life I, and I'm death sure is so precious got... here. Uh, right. No, I get it. But I'm sure they got the approval of Isaiah. Well, he was wearing black, black, too. Right. So, but I it, yeah, it, it just didn't... didn't sit well with me. It didn't bother me. 
No, it, it didn't. I mean, it didn't necessarily bother me because I, I think it was mere, more so a reaction to what the Wizards did in the regular season well, than listen, anything else. Obviously, he can compartmentalize in a way right. that is, you know, it's – I think this is honestly what separates a lot of athletes from regular people like you and me. You know, the, the fact that they are able to put aside everything that's going on in their lives to go out and do a job – I think is one thing that you just need to have as a professional athlete. And the ones who are really good at doing that, I think there's no, there it's no, uh, it's no secret. And it's also not a shock that they are the ones who succeed. I thought that one was a little bit weird, but one thing Moose that this is going to teach us, I'm talking this James Harden, how he's flamed out in game six, something that if the wizards lose this series, something else that's going to happen as a result in the NBA is Adam Silver's, absolute worst nightmare. I'll tell you what it is coming after the break. It's the Moose and Maggie show. We're here just getting started on a Saturday morning. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. We're back with more in just a moment. This is the Moose and Maggie show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, it is the Moose and Maggie show here on Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. Okay, so I teased it going into break that there could be some major ramifications from this postseason that is going to be Adam Silver's absolute worst nightmare in the NBA. And here's what it is, Moose. You saw James Harden. He had the highest usage rate of his entire career this year. Of course, he gets switched over to point guard. This is Mike D'Antoni's brilliant move, and it was brilliant. And he did have an MVP-like season. If you believe that the only reason that James Harden lost that game six and looked totally disengaged in that game six was because he was out of gas because he was flat out tired because the tank was absolutely on empty. Then you are not going to see a player like him and a player like Russell Westbrook next year. When they're asked about strategic rest, not going to say that's not for me. Coach knows not to even come at me with that. That's over. These guys are going to be strategically resting The coaches will override them anything that they want to do, and they will say, I'm sorry, but you are sitting. And that is absolutely what Mike D'Antoni probably should have done this whole season, but I'm not going to play Monday morning quarterback on that and kill him now. But then you're excusing Harden's – you see, I I don't think Harden's um, play in game six had anything to do with he's tired. No, 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 I'm saying if. If he comes out – and I don't know if we'll ever know why he was disengaged in game six. Yeah, I mean, D'Antoni already – I mean, D'Antoni said he's going to start to – he's going to rest Harden more next year, 2017, 2018. That is the worst nightmare. I agree with you when you look at Adam Silver. But I I don't look at it when you get to the postseason. It's really about the effort, and that is what is so demoralizing when you look at at James Harden is that the effort was not there. But – yeah, I mean, you're you're not wrong. I mean, the rest the idea is not going away. That's why I had a hard time, Maggie, when we were talking about in the regular season, everybody was fawning over themselves or falling over themselves about how great the NBA regular season was, where I didn't really find it to be all that great. I mean, I thought Harden was interesting. I thought Westbrook's year was fantastic. But aside from that, I mean, it was it was not a great year. But for the NBA, the playoffs have been abysmal. Um that's the thing I think that would haunt me if I'm Adam Silver moving forward. It's great to have great teams, and there's no doubt what what um, uh, what Golden State and what the the Cleveland Cavaliers represent in their conferences, respectively. However, just the the competitive nature of these series are dreadful. I mean, they're they're unwatchable. You had a you had a Houston team at home to San Antonio with where the Spurs don't have Paul Parker and Kawhi Leonard. 
and and Houston losing that game by 39 points. I mean, it's it's embarrassingly bad. It absolutely is. And I think that Adam Silver has said one of their biggest issues is the strategic rest because you have fans who buy a ticket expecting to see a superstar, and if they're not guaranteed to see them, well, maybe I don't want to spend my money well, to go I, buy I, that ticket. Yeah, I'd rather I mean, sit I, home. And then it, this is also plays true moves for the Wizards because if the Wizards lose game seven in Boston, you look at that Washington rotation. There is no depth on that team whatsoever. You can spin it however you want. In some ways, if you want to look positive, you can say, hey, this starting five, they've played more minutes together than any other team. They know each other. They have chemistry. And that's all well and good. But they also have no depth either. They have no bench. Maggie, they've got three days off. Is that I mean, good they played, or bad? Uh, that's good for rest. I mean, you look at it from a Wizard perspective, they played Friday night at home. The game is Monday night in Boston. Yeah, that's should I mean, should they help. have the entire day today. They have all day tomorrow. They have all day on Monday. You talk about guys in their 20s. I mean, if they can't go out there and physically get themselves ready to play a basketball game for 48 minutes, I mean, what the hell are they doing as athletes? I mean, honestly, what are we doing here? Well, I would just say... If, if the Wizards end up losing and if it looks like they ran out of gas, I'm telling you, even teams like Washington are going to start doing strategic rest. I mean, it's not just going to be reserved see, for the James Hardens and the LeBron Jameses and Kawhis. It's going to be also for the Marcin Gortats. Well, I, you might be right. And listen, I, I think the rest idea is, is atrocious for the NBA. I said it time and time again throughout the course of the regular season. It was a consistent theme. And everyone, ah, you know, whatever it is, what it is. But... I don't disagree, but I I, th- I also don't think – I mean, Houston got their butt whooped. They did. I mean, that there's nothing to do with them being tired. It has nothing to do – they got – what San Antonio did was Popovich outcoached Tony, San Antonio outplayed Houston. The Rockets had no answer. They're a bully basketball team where if they're hitting the threes and hitting 20-plus threes in the game, they can go out there and beat anybody – they refused to take the 9 or 10-foot jumper. They refused to go out there and consistently defend. Here's what the Rockets are. What you learned in Game 6 are, is the Rockets are a fraud. They're a fraud of a basketball team. They were the entire regular season, and you learned it in Game 6. They're a bully team. Harden is a bully player. When things don't go his way, he quits, and he did, on, he did the other night down in Houston. He quit on the court. All right, and we've seen other guys quit. I saw LeBron James quit up in Boston against the Celtics. Yep. Uh, I've seen other guys quit on the NBA court. But it, it, to say anything other than what it was, what James Harden did was he quit. And embarrassing for the – I mean, I, I get he walks into a club, and I I mean, those rubes are either drunk or whatever it might be, and they're partying. But, I mean, the chant – I mean, the, the Rockets just <laughs> lost by 39 points. I mean, don't embarrass yourself no. by going out there chanting MVP, MVP. Moose. And James Harden is walking in with Kylie Jenner. What do you have to be drinking and how much of it to take that 39-point loss with a guy who completely no-showed in a Game 6 elimination at home right. and to chant MVP? You have to be on, like, something strong, like right. absinthe. Or, uh, like, you're... A you're, couple you're, lines of blow. <laughs> you're, you're on another planet. Because after watching that, I mean, I understand a city wanted to support their stars and getting behind them. And, you know, Kevin Durant said, um, he said before that playing in Oklahoma City was incredible because the fans showed this unconditional love. It was like no matter what he did, they always were loving him. And 
and giving them all this respect. And I get how that's probably great for a player. But, yo, you walk into that club and they're chanting I mean, MVP at you after you just blew it by 39. I mean, listen, I'm not saying you got to, like, throw rotten fruit at the guy. But to be chanting MVP, first of all, also, do you think it was a bad look for Harden to be at the club right after the game? Uh, he could do whatever he wants. I mean, I, it doesn't I, – I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be naive to the fact that guys don't go out, gals don't go out. I mean, he's a young man. He, you know, he just lost a game. You know, do I need him going out there sitting at home stewing? I mean – for the for the hardcore sports fan, you'd love the guy to be going out there at home, being just as upset. Watching as, film, right? Being just dark a, room. It's just not reality. So it, it uh, am I bothered that he's out with Kylie Jenner or that she's at the club? Yeah, that bothers me. But you know, the, never ending amounts of hate for the Kardashian right, family. That, it comes from reserves. Bothers, but it doesn't bother. No, I, I'm more upset by the people chanting MVP. <laughs> MVP. They probably didn't watch the game. They probably thought he won. <laughs> Walks in with a white sweatshirt. Right, with the hoodie on yeah. and everything like that. They probably thought he won. No, I, it, uh, why? Does it bother you that he went out that night? No, it, and it didn't bother me when Rob Gronkowski was partying his face off after the Patriots lost the second Super Bowl uh, to the Giants. It didn't bother me because here's how I look at it. When I have a crappy day at work, when I have the worst day, when interviews don't go right, when everything seems to go wrong, you know, when it's just the worst day, we've all had them. We've all been there. What's your first inclination? It's like, God, I could use a drink. So yeah. I get it. You know, yeah. you just want to sort of wash it away. Would I do it at a club? I'd probably do it maybe in the privacy of my own home, considering my home's probably pretty sweet if I'm James Harden. But right. I, I, I understand if people think it's a bad look. And from all what everyone has said, coaches of James, I actually talked to his high school coach yesterday um, for Sports Illustrated and talking about what happened because we're all trying to figure out what could have possibly happened. He had his thoughts, but he said, and everyone has echoed this, Mike D'Antoni, everything, that James will be harder on himself than anyone. Now, in that game, he lied down. He did quit. But they're saying that he, no one will be harder and take this more personally than well, James Harden in the offseason. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. I mean, his it, high school coach says he, he listened he, for as great of a season as he has, he had, he still has a lot to learn at the point guard position. That was his take. And he said that James will absolutely get in the gym and, and be able to run D'Antoni's system better and be a better point guard. He goes, look at the trajectory in one season for how good he got yeah, was after great. never playing that position, really. So he said that, you know, he's going to get I'm, in the gym. I'm not, time. it's just a terrible look. Awful. I mean, honestly, terrible. The performance—you got to go down swinging, right? The performance was awful. I'm sure he'll learn from it. I'm sure he'll grow from it. I'm sure he'll be better in year two in D'Antoni's system than he was in year one. I, I agree with all that. He went down like a dog. I mean, that's honestly that's that's the way James Harden went down. And I, I don't. I, there's nobody uh, walking that's up here at this stage of the morning on this Saturday morning that would want to go down the way that James Harden went down. No. That's it, the way he went. he went down. He basically said, Mercy, no more. You're better than I am. I'm taking my ball and going home. Who does that? This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, when it's time to replace your battery, trust the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts help you choose the superstar battery that's an exact fit for your vehicle. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227, your number to call. Getting a lot of uh, milk carton memes on James Harden coming through on Twitter feed. I also yeah. see out there, Nathan, thank you for the text uh, tweets, rather. But a lot a lot of missing James Harden, a lot of the, the beard just covering his entire face. Right. Because he was a complete and utter no-show in game six. 
Um, you know, Stephen A. Smith going coming on the broadcast right after post game, saying while he's talking on ESPN, he had five Hall of Famers text him to say that James Harden has quit. Now, Stephen A. I know is open to a little bit of bravado, but I don't think he would lie about something like that. I no. mean, Stephen A. Smith's a journalist. Sure. You know, I don't think that he would he would exaggerate in that way. And listen. If you are, I'm not going to argue. I'm with surprised the Hall of they Famer. were all still watching the game at that stage. I would have found something else to do if I was a Hall of Famer. <laughs> well, listen, honestly, you couldn't believe it. You were a, in shock. Moose. Watch a movie. I was in shock. There's nothing else. There's nothing left to watch. I, I mean. still don't know what happened. I still don't know what happened because I don't think you know James Harden has had a few playoff moments that have just been been really head scratching. I mean, you go back to his first finals, right? When they were still, he was still with OKC. They ran up against LeBron James in Miami, second year in Miami, just motivated. I mean, that Heat team was going to win by any means necessary. They had gotten embarrassed by the Mavs the year before. LeBron James was the villain. He was trying to get his reputation back after the decision and not four, not five, not six, going to Miami. And that team was was never going to beat Miami. But James Harden was not good in that in that finals. Absolutely yeah. not. Then they trade him away. He was not good against the Clippers. One year in a closeout game. I remember it was uh what they ten points something as the second few it ties what he what he did in game six just bad and and you know that stuff starts to stick with you and I think James Harden knows that and that's what makes it even more baffling Moose. Yeah no and uh, I think it does hang on yeah I don't think there's any doubt about it but I, I also think that you, you know you you learned a couple of things you you. And for Daryl Moore to come out and say the criticism of Joe Harden is a joke, uh, it's not a joke. It's realistic because uh, you expect your star players to play like stars in the biggest moments, and and he didn't. I mean, it was two of 11, six turnovers, 10 points. Um, you know, match of the fewest points of a, a game this season for the Houston Rockets. You also saw Mike D'Antoni get thoroughly outcoached. I mean, the Harden performance, Maggie, covers up for the very fact of just how badly outcoached Mike D'Antoni was in this series by Greg Popovich, which is not surprising, not stunning, but everyone that talked about the revelation and, you know, D'Antoni once again down in Houston with the Rockets, well, I mean, it's basically a one-trick pony. If it ain't working, he doesn't have any kind of answers or no in-game scenarios where he changes things up to try and get the best out of his team. I mean, Greg Popovich wins a game against a, a healthy Rocket team on the road without Kawhi Leonard. And without Tony Parker and wins that game by 39 points. I mean, there's something to be said where if I'm Mike D'Antoni, Harden's performance provides me a little bit of cover for how thoroughly I outcoached I was in a closeout game by the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, that's just being realistic. I mean, that's something you have to also go out there and look yourself in the mirror as well. As Mike D'Antoni says, one game doesn't undo nine months of work for James Harden. Well, he's hoping that one game doesn't undo nine months of work for him as a head coach. But, uh, you know, I still don't believe that Mike D'Antoni can go out there and win a championship, play in the style and fashion, which he does, because the Rockets just don't defend. Yeah, I'm, I think what's the the stat where it's D'Antoni against Popovich, like six for 20? Right. It's not good. Um, and listen, being in the playoffs and being in a seven-game series, there's nowhere to hide, right? There's no secrets anymore. So it is about making the minor tweaks and the minor adjustments. Yeah. And then... When, uh, when a team looks vulnerable, that's when you have to step on the throat. Like, that's when you have to go full throttle. And the Spurs, 
how much more vulnerable can you be without Tony Parker, without Kawhi? And I understand that the Rockets were missing Nene, but if your whole thing, and I love Nene, but if your whole situation is riding on Nene, you got problems. Now, yeah. the thing is, is that James Harden and, and teammates of his have said they he understands that he is the superstar and everything is on his shoulders. So I think he's going to take this pretty hard. I mean, I know he's going to get in the gym, he'll get better and come back, but this is going to stick with him for a really long time. This is going to stick with him really until he it's almost like Musa you never really get over a breakup in life you just right. start dating someone new and then you that's how you get over the breakup right this is going to have to happen for James Harden he's never going to get over this this is there he needs something better on top of it he needs something that's going to have to make you forget about game 6 because it's not going away anytime soon now on the meantime we can flip this a little bit forward and it looks like something that we've known since the very beginning of the season, that it's going to be a collision course for Golden State and for Cleveland. Now, Ty Lue, who is interesting for some of the things that he said in this postseason. Uh, of course, he said he has the hardest job in the NBA. Which he which doesn't. He doesn't. So we what, we covered that territory last week. But he also said, essentially, that while many people believe it is bad for the NBA to basically know who's going to play in the finals before the season even starts, he actually does not think that's bad for the NBA. He thinks that having Cavs and Warriors for the third straight year is not a bad thing. Now, I don't think having Cavs and Warriors is a bad thing either for the third straight year. I want the rubber match. I think this is cool. Yeah. But it, I do I do disagree. It's not good when you go into the season knowing who's going to make the finals and then the season has now bared itself out and it's going to be that way. Like there's just been it's just no drama. You know, you go back and, and he was likening this Cavs Warriors to the Lakers and the Boston Celtics from the 1980s. And I get that. Lakers and Celtics, 84, 85, 87, started 1980 to 1989. Either the Celtics or the Lakers were in the finals every single year. You know, was that bad for the league? Looking back in hindsight, maybe not. At the time, I'm not sure if fans were a little bit bored back then. I don't know. I don't think not that. Not sure what the sentiment was. I mean, listen, I, I think that it's not bad. He, here's the, it's not bad to have great teams. Uh, and I don't think it's bad for the NBA to have Cavs and, and Warriors for a third straight year in the NBA Finals, Maggie. I'll agree with the Cavaliers coach uh, on that very fact. What, what the issue you have here, though, is um, just the, a fait accompli where there's, really no competitive balance when you look across the NBA. And and that's – there is no doubt. I mean, there there hasn't been a doubt for months. Yes. There hasn't been a doubt for 10 months. Um, the Eastern Conference stinks. Um, the Western Conference, it's Golden State, and then it's everybody else. Um, you have a San Antonio team that's going to be missing one of their best players with that torn tendon in his quad where – with Tony Parker, right? Kawhi Leonard's not going to be 100% healthy dealing with that ankle injury. He's going to go out there and play, but he's not going to be 100% healthy. Right. Um, that's the problem you have is the lack of competitive balance to where you say, even if you, even if we got to a stage where, okay, you, the, you know, the Cavs and the Warriors are meeting, but the rest of the NBA playoffs who are at least entertaining, they have not been. Yeah. Uh, they've not been a great playoff run. You're not getting great series. You're not getting great games within the series. That's the problem I have. I, I don't great teams, dynasties, not a bad thing. Uh from my money. I I like watching great teams go out there and play. However, behind those great teams, 
you're getting a lot of meh and a lot of a lot of bad basketball and a lot of uh, of teams going out there not showing you a lot of fight. That's the that's the concern I would have where um, you, you've just not gotten a very very entertaining product when it really should be the ultimate product and the buildup of a long NBA regular season. Yeah, not getting that at all. I'm interested to know what people think out there. Are you looking at Warriors and Cavs like Boston and Lakers? I mean, are you looking at it at a rivalry at that level? I mean, I think it's getting there. I think it's absolutely there. I think it's a great rivalry. Unfortunately, the road to it is just, well, it's like a flat highway with just nothing on either side, unfortunately. I think we try to talk ourselves into Boston and Washington a little bit this year, Moose, with just the improvements that both of those teams have made. You try to talk yourself into the Spurs always, but as you said, if Kawhi's not healthy, it's going to be very tough because this, this is the thing about Golden State. For as awesome as they are on the offensive end, they also defend. They are a fantastic defensive team. So they're not, they're not, you know, uh, mailing it in on the defense and then going in and hitting threes from half court. They're not a one-trick pony like Houston was. So it's going to be very difficult. I think it's five games, maybe. And, and like I said, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe even the Cavaliers is a sweep in the Eastern Conference just because they're so well-rested, so much time to get themselves back in, in shape or back in, you know, game mode. And LeBron James basically has shown you over his career, there is no such thing as rust. He doesn't have it because he's superhuman. Yeah. He's well, not of this earth. Yeah. I mean, as, as Brian Windhorst described him last week, I would imagine he's Superman. Uh, the smartest man, the, the most uh, the most physically well, yeah, gifted he, yeah. individual. What did Windhorst say last week? He said, um, LeBron will always try to downplay and say, I'm just a guy from Akron. I'm just a kid from Akron. I'm not supposed to be here. And Brian Windhorst said, no, you're absolutely supposed to be here. Nobody has the type of body like that who right. can put on the kind of muscle like that. Who has a sort of perspective like he does? Right, the memory, the memory, the yes, intelligence. The memory. I didn't remember the memory. That's he's superhuman. Why I'm not superhuman. Right, he's Superman. Jersey, we go. It's Ben. It's CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Ben? Hey, what's up, guys? How oh, you doing? When Horse was going to propose to him at the end of that interview. Listen, what's going man, on, Ben? How are you? For his yeah. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, we're going to talk about the Harden, but real quick, um. You can never count out uh, a Popovich coach team. Uh, obviously, Golden State's the heavy favorite, but I mean. Popovich has been the best coach in the NBA for you know his last what 15 plus years, and as far as uh, on the East side, uh, I would love to see Boston get over the hump. I just love the, the way they play. I love uh, Brad Stevens. Isaiah Thomas is maybe the most underrated superstar at being five nine. So I would love to see them knock off Cleveland. Um, I hope it happens. LeBron historically hasn't played well in Boston, but uh, you know they they're going to be the heavy favorites. But uh, I hope Boston. Knocks him off, and I'm a Nick fan, so that says a lot. Um, talking about uh, Harden, um, to me, I think he should get criticism. I don't care about him partying, but it's just to not show up in in the biggest season, a game of the season on the line. There is just pathetic, and and I think Mike D'Antoni should get some criticism too, because this system seems to just wear out in in the playoffs everywhere he's coached. So don't you think he needs to come up with a different strategy de-emphasize just shooting threes? Yes. And, and yeah, but he's yes. not. But he's I mean, not going he, to. He's not. It, because is, it is what he is. To me, it moves. I think it's kind of stubborn. And Ben, I think this was 100% an indictment on the D'Antoni system. I really do. Because when it, when they're not falling in game five, tweak. 
Make yeah, it's just not his way, though. I mean, Harden was but not even driving to the hoop. No, I mean, I that's why I think he was disengaged. I don't know. No, I, 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 I agree with you, Maggie, but that's just not the way he is because he feels like the next game, the shots are going to go out there and fall, right? His free-flowing offense and guys are going to go out there and do what they've been doing throughout the course of the regular season. See, that's the demoralizing aspect. If I wake up here on a Saturday morning and I'm a Rocket fan, right? And, and I know Harden will learn from it, right? And I understand what he is as a player, but I've got a coach with a system that really ultimately can't win, right? Ultimately, I'm not going to be Hasn't winning an NBA yet. championship. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, he's not going to win. An, no, I, you got to defend. He's not winning an NBA championship. They play little to no defense, and they can't go out there and can, in the Western Conference, Maggie. The Rockets are not talented enough, nor will they ever be, uh, to go out there and beat Golden State at Golden State's game. Because if they want to go punch for punch, three for three with the Warriors, they're going to lose. They couldn't beat San Antonio. They're going to lose. You see, this is the problem, Moose, about the live by the three, die by the three, and, and if D'Antoni is not willing to make an adjustment. The problem is, is that, you know, you're always thinking, all right, the threes aren't falling today. They'll fall tomorrow. Well, there is no tomorrow when you're in a closeout game. You have to be able to have a, a second plan, a plan B, an option, an adjustment. You have to be able to make a tweak. Because at this point, if they're not falling, then you have what we saw on uh, on Thursday, a 39-point blowout. Was that Thursday or Wednesday? It was uh, Thursday. That was, <laughs> it was no, Thursday. Yeah. No, that, that was Thursday night. Yeah. Correct. Yes. Get my days mixed up. Also, right. small point about D'Antoni. Who shaves the mustache mid-playoff run? Uh, that should be against sports law. You can't shave true. it, Moose. I don't even have facial Maybe hair, and I know the rules. He's looking for a little bit of a reset for himself. Moose, what a, are we talking playoff hockey beards for the last 50 years? I, I don't mean, you disagree can't with you. shave it. I, I, Maggie, I'm not going to disagree with you. I if don't I know. walk in the locker room, Listen, you're not talking I'm superstitious. To I'm not a D'Antoni fan. So I walk in, he shaved the mustache. I'm like, what did you do? Yes, How I'd, dare you? I'd agree with that. Attempting <laughs> fate. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Hour down, three to play with. Sports Rewind, we'll get into some other things with the association, NHL, Stanley Cup, playoffs, and the like. Little caps, Moose and Maggie, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Hour number one spent a lot uh, on the NBA and the association, and we've got a game seven Monday night between the uh, Wizards and the uh, Boston Celtics. That means even more rest uh, for LeBron James and the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers. And uh, as we await the start of the Western Conference finals between the San Antonio Spurs and uh, the Golden State Warriors as uh, the Spurs went out there and Throttled the Rockets in Game Six Thursday night, one fourteen to seventy five. The final, and James Harden was terrible in that series. Let's uh, wrap up the conversation uh, with one more quick call. I've been waiting a little bit. Arizona Dave in Fort Worth, Texas, which is a mouthful, is next here on CBS Sports Radio. Moose and Maggie, top of the morning to you. Good top morning, of the morning, morning to you, Arizona Dave in Fort Worth, Texas. All right, all right, hey. I'm a big Phoenix Suns fan, and I also do not believe in the Mike D'Antoni system. You live by the three, and you die by the three. When that three is not falling, you are going to have a very bad, bad game. 
And, and I don't blame uh, the loss all on James Harden. I blame it on D'Antoni's system. Now, James Harden is an MVP candidate. He's all, He's not as good as LeBron James, but he's almost the same caliber of a player. Now, if this guy would drive to the basket, something like LeBron James did, LeBron James is an excellent outside shot, and he also drives to the basket. If 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 uh, our guy from Houston would do that, James Harden, maybe he would score a few more points. But the Mike D'Antoni system, you live by the three, yeah, and you die you, by you the sure, three. Right. Uh, you know, it, but you can't go out there and, and take blame away from the best player on D'Antoni's team. You can't go out there and do that. That's unfair. Yeah, uh, Arizona and, Dave also. I mean, James Harden is fantastic. He's not the same caliber yeah, not, as LeBron James. Right, he's not Arizona. on the level of LeBron James either. Um, but, yes, uh, we're in agreement that you're not going to be able to win when Mike D'Antoni's system. Well, the third point will agree, and, yes, you do live by the three and you die by the well, three. Well, listen, when D'Antoni had Amari Stoudemire and Steve Nash, they actually ran a lot of pick and roll. Steve Nash is not a three-point shooter in his career. He was a facilitator distributor. I mean, it this is a live by the three, die by the three. D'Antoni's system in Phoenix was not exactly that not way. Exactly I mean, let's not remember, no, misremember you, what, what history was That's here. true. Uh, let's head out to Indianapolis. It's Matt at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Matt? Hey, how you guys doing? Good, Matt. Hey, good. Hey, I'm, I'm a little disappointed in you guys, man. For one, for one, San Antonio is not going to show up in the Western Conference Finals and be non-competitive. I actually think they beat Golden State in this series. Wow. Based on That's what? That's a hot take, Matt. Uh, based on you got the best coach. Let me tell you something. Planning for, for the finals, there's no one better. He's he's going to have a plan. I don't know what it'll be because you never know what comes out of Popovich, but they are going to be competitive and they are going to be there, and I think they're going to win this series. Yeah, I, I think they can play a competitive series. I don't think they're going to win the series. You I don't mean, think I they're going to win the series? I, I don't. Mean, Matt, the games could be competitive and could be good, but ultimately, I mean, you look at just – and I know – do you really believe that a guy like DeJounte Murray, for as good as he's been playing, or Patty Mills, do you think they're going to have the same opportunities against the Warriors who actually play defense? Yeah, I know they play defense, but I'm not counting those two. You know, I think who's going to show up and who's going to win this series for them? Don't say Lamarcus Aldridge. Not only LaMarcus August, but you watch Paul Gasol in the Western Conference Finals. He will show up. I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I he just he should be a factor. He will be a factor. He's a great player. But it, Paul Gasol is not going to win them the series. No, no way. Well, he can play better him, than – you're, you're talking about him playing better. I, I just don't like the matchup, honestly. I think when you take uh, what Golden State can go out there and do uh, and their ability to go out and generate offense and defend – and play the game at their style and fashion. I I don't think San Antonio has the the athletes to answer them. I'm not denying that. I agree. The Popovich will come up with some sort of game plan, and they'll try and go out there and execute it, and slow it down, limit possessions, go out there and defend, and they're going to give you the A plus effort. Uh, it, it comes down to talent. I I don't think Golden State. I don't think San Antonio can beat Golden State. Mano a mano. I don't see it happening. Listen, it's great nope. stories. You love Simmons, right? Obviously, we love Manu Ginobili with the throwback sort of vintage performances. But if you're relying on LaMarcus Aldridge to win you the series here, I don't trust him. He had one nope. and a half 
great games. His stat lines are good, but if you're really watching those games, he is not the factor that he should be considering what a superstar talent he is. What about Kawhi Leonard? Well, he's, if he's not 100%, he's their uh, best player. I'm not sure if he won't be. I think he'll be close. Well, that, you got to hope so if you're a Spurs fan. Listen, that, do we, that, that, do we that, think... That's our hope. You got to. If he's healthy, they got a shot. Listen, everyone's got a shot. Thanks, Matt. It's professional sports. I mean, we don't know the outcome. So, yeah, anything's possible. Anything is possible. You know, it's like Kevin Garnett. But I I don't see it. I just don't. I mean, I think as good as Pop is, and honestly, you know, Mike Brown on the the sidelines still has access to Steve Kerr's brain, and I know they're talking all the time. You know, Mike Brown is obviously a little bit different, um, even though he's been to a finals with LeBron. Not doesn't make uh, you know I don't I don't know we'll see what happens if the Warriors even find themselves moves in a position where they look vulnerable. So far, that happened for maybe like thirty seconds in the in the Utah series where they even looked like they were going to get a game on their hands and then they pulled away. Yeah, I, I mean, um, I just look at the class of, of the Western Conference and when you look at the Golden State Warriors, um, they're clearly it's them and then. It's everybody else, and and I love Popovich. I love San Antonio, Maggie. It's not a matter of not having a healthy respect for the San Antonio Spurs. It's more so of just realizing the talent level of the Golden State Warriors and where they're at right now. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And you know, it would be great for the NBA if we got a great Western Conference. It would be great for the NBA if you know Kawhi Leonard continued to cement himself as one of the you know, great stars and legitimate MVP candidates year in and year out. It would be fantastic. I, I I think San Antonio will make Golden State sweat a little bit. I think San Antonio will make Golden State sweat more than the winner of the Wizards Celtics will make the Cavaliers sweat. I agree with you. But because these two teams have been beating each other up. You're right. You know, and I think they're gonna be they're gonna be just limping towards the finish line. Right. No matter who it is. Should we do a little sports rewind? Let's, do it. Let's get to that. All right, Moose, this is a little different. I feel like we've had a lot of baseball, obviously. It's baseball season. We've had a lot of baseball the last couple weeks, so we're going to switch gears here, and we're going to talk tennis. Tennis, anyone? May little 13th. tennis. May 13th, 1973. Former tennis star Bobby Riggs would take on Margaret Court in the battle of the sexes tennis match. Margaret Court. The contest took place on Mother's Day in Ramona, California. Now, at the time of the match... Margaret Court was 30 years old and the number one ranked female player in the world, while Riggs was 55 years old and had been retired from professional tennis for years. However, Riggs would go on to win the match in convincing fashion by a score of 6-2-6-1. Bobby Riggs had originally challenged Billie Jean King to a match, but she declined. Then after Riggs beat Court, King decided to accept the challenge. In one of the most famous tennis matches of all time, Billie Jean King defeated Bobby Riggs 6-4, 6-3, 6-3 at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. At a news conference after the match, Riggs explained the loss. Quote, she was too good, too fast. She returned all my passing shots and made great plays off them. I was trying to play my game, but I couldn't. After Riggs' death at age 77 in 1995, King complimented her former rival and his probably accidental contribution to the advancement of sexual equality. Quote, our battle of the sexes match helped to advance the game of tennis and women everywhere. End quote. It would not have happened. Billie Jean King would not have beaten Bobby Riggs in the battle of the sexes. One of the great moments in the history of sports and also our society. Let's go there. 
if Bobby Riggs hadn't beaten Margaret Court first in the Battle of the Sexes tennis match. That took place on today's date, May 13th, 1973 in Ramona, California. Wow. And there's your sports rewind for today. 1973. That was, 73. That's crazy how I, long ago. That, I mean, time does fly. Yeah. You know, I, listen, I've been lucky enough to interview Billie Jean a couple times. And yes. she is unbelievable. Like, she is fighting the fight. Yeah, she's More all into that today. world team tennis now. I know. Forever. Yeah. It's all yeah. into the world team. That's it, right? The world, uh, the team. Yeah, world team tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, it's just uh, incredible, you know, when we talk about athletes' salaries sometimes and just how crazy inflated they are. And, you know, listen, you're worth what you're worth. And I'm not going to begrudge an athlete at any a penny. But you really do have to give a, some credit to Billie Jean King. I mean, it really, tennis was one of the first sports, I believe the first, to pay the women and the men the same prize money. And it started with Billie Jean King fighting for this. And then it's actually Venus and Serena who really took up the cause, along with a lot of other female players. But, you know, I like, for example, I look at a sport, you know, I interview a lot of UFC fighters, you know, and a lot of boxers. And I was interviewing Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson this week. And he's obviously a great flyweight champion, um, 10 title defenses. And he says he doesn't understand why he, being the champion, gets paid less than CM Punk or Conor McGregor. You know, someone, McGregor's a champion too, but someone who doesn't have the same amount of success is not a champion, yet can go out there and sell tickets. You know, this is, it, we're not in like a, you know, merit-based. Sometimes we like to think so, but in sports, sometimes it's not that way. And so I applaud Billie Jean King for really breaking down that barrier. I mean, that is really huge for, you know, and, and now what you see what the women's soccer team is doing with their new collective bargaining agreement. I mean, all this stuff matters. And going back to 1973, which you know, I don't remember this match, it wasn't alive, but, no. you know, for 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 this to happen, for Margaret Court to lose and then Billie Jean King really, you know, take up this cause and beat Bobby Riggs, you know, became a seminal moment, I think, for for women and, and pushed so many things forward that we're still even seeing the, the we're seeing that today. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. All right, I'm off the sofa. If you if you buy season tickets, it should be your privilege. You, sh- you should be able to have them, right? Whether if you want if you want to keep them, right? Yeah, well, that's the definition of ownership. Right, own the season tickets, yes. right? They're well, your property. What NFL team is uh, challenging that? We'll we'll get into that. Moose and Maggie with you next. CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. And we teased it going into break, Maggie, but interesting storyline coming out of Denver with the Broncos where they have a 75,000-person uh, waiting list for season tickets, right? They've been uh, having sellouts since uh, the early 70s. Um, so, um, you know, 97% of tickets at Mile High Stadium are season tickets with only 3% coming from single-game ticket sales. All right, so 144 accounts, I believe is the number, right, have had their season tickets revoked going into the 2017 season. Yeah, not correct? renewed. Not, not renewed, renewed yep. right? So not renewed. Because um, they were somehow able to prove that these people, these 144, sold every single ticket to every home game in 2016. Which I which is their right. You know, which is which is their right. I mean, it, it isn't in the case where unless the you know, I can understand where if I buy season tickets um and I sell it on the secondary market, 
and the people that I'm selling into get themselves into trouble, um, and it's going to come back to haunt me. Oh, like disruptive. Right. They're yeah. disruptive, getting thrown out of the stadium, heavily starting intoxicated, fights. starting yeah. fights, and this and that. That's going to come back on me, you know, and I can understand where then the team goes, well, you no longer have your rights to season tickets, and uh, thanks for your business. We're marching on. Somebody else will be happily uh, able to sit in those seats moving forward. But if you have an instance here where they're grading out who's attending and who's not, and, you know, there's uh, one specific incident, I, I guess, of a, a Chicago re- resident, Eric Siegler, um, who was informed that his season tickets were, uh, he was not going to be able to renew his season tickets moving forward. And the team determined that um, he had sold the majority of the games during the 14 and 15 seasons. And he said that he sold his tickets on the secondary market to help take care of his sick mother. Yeah. I, you know, and if, if I go out there and, and buy, I buy a season ticket for, and it's going to cost me 150 a game, and I'm able to make $150 or $200 profit on the secondary market by selling those tickets, well, how, how do you hold that against me? I mean, I, if, if I look at that as a, a business venture more so than anything else, I mean, isn't that capitalism? Isn't that what we're all about? Going out there and trying to make a profit? Not everybody's going out and, and sitting there watching the game. I, I understand there are people that go out there and take advantage of the system, Maggie, but you know, don't fault people for going out there and and looking at season tickets and saying that there's a market here, let me get involved, I'll buy the tickets, and then I can go out there and sell them and make a little bit of extra money for myself, what's the big deal? It was a smart investment to get the tickets, and then you can do whatever you want with them. This, to me, represents the ultimate greed of the NFL and trickle down to one team. The NFL as a league is incredibly greedy. That's their business model. It's great for them, but why not what's good for the goose be good for the gander? Because if you are really that upset where 144 season ticket accounts were revoked, that represents, Moose, 400 seats. You know how many people can sit in Mile High Stadium? 76,000. Right. 76,000. So really, you're that upset about 144 accounts. 400 seats? Is this make or breaking anything for anyone in Denver? First of all, Denver's not San Diego, you know, where teams would go and they'd say, wow, it feels like we're on a road team, even though we're, you know, it's a road game, even though we're home. Denver fans are great. They are turning out. So for the 400 seats that want to be filled by another fan or the highest bidder, that's the cost of doing business. Yeah. That's just what it is. Don't go after the little guy. The NFL is makes it so hard to be a fan sometimes because this impacts so few people, yet the bad publicity from this is going to make the NFL look like pigs. Well, let me ask you this, Maggie. If you take the contrarian viewpoint, what about if you're one of those 75,000, right, that are, are on waiting, the wait list. that are on the wait list and you have people that are not, not yeah. a significant amount, but are, are getting the season tickets and aren't even going to the games when all you want to do is go to the games. You're not looking to maximize a profit. You're looking to to try and go right. to the games, yes. right? And and what did you I feel? I have one answer, and it's one word. Tough. Tough. Okay. I, I, I right. don't I don't feel that much. Of, I, don't, I don't know why I would feel sympathy or empathy for any of those people because well, I can't feel empathy because I'm not a season ticket holder, but, and I'm not on a wait list. But I don't – life's not fair. What do you want me to say? I mean, okay, you can't get your season tickets. Boo-hoo. 
You'll get them eventually. Maybe. Maybe you won't. Nothing well, in right. this life people is guaranteed. Right. People will eventually die off, and you'll be able to get your opportunity to, to buy yourself season tickets. If you're in New York, you better pony up twenty grand for a personal seat license to give you the right to buy the season ticket. Fans are held over the barrel every single time, and it's just outrageous to me. I mean, how difficult, and this is the NFL's problem, Moose, because a lot of stadiums, not Denver, because those fans are great, and they're being punished for no reason. Denver fans are fantastic, but why? You see stadiums, Moose, that are half empty. Yeah. This is a major problem for the NFL because uh, the home experience is very good. Right. Technology, red zone channel, all that stuff. Right. You can sit on the comfort We've talked about that before, right. John Mayer, the owner of the Giants, has told me before, this was four years ago, he said this is the biggest problem facing owners. I mean, right, the game day experience. Well, I mean, they should cut down on the intoxicated fans. I mean, maybe they'll help out the game day experience as well. And don't be greedy pigs when it comes to the beer sales. Well, you don't have to take out a second mortgage just to go to a football game on a Sunday. Right, I, I agree with you. So, I mean, you know, John Mara, right, I, I understand. Well, it shouldn't be cost me $40 to park my car either to an NFL game, too. I mean, you, you look at you know, there's a number of ways where, you know, the NFL has brought this upon itself. So I can't have feel bad for the National Football League and the game day experience. In a lot of instances is downright dreadful, especially if you're a, uh, a fan of the uh, the opposing team coming to town. But, Maggie, I, I just think it's it's business, right? You, you might not like it if you're an NFL team. You might not like the fact that somebody is going out there and they're benefiting and profiting uh, off of you. It is what it is. You know, honestly, it is what it is. Now, you know, legally, they can do it. Yeah, they can. I mean, they're they can. On, they're they're, on they're stable well within their right. I mean, there, there was, uh, you know, uh, the Cubs this year um, were able to uh, revoke um, – a, a block of tickets for a ticket broker from renewing his season tickets or her season tickets this year, and and it held up in the court. So they found out who the ticket broker was, and uh, they did not allow them to renew the season tickets, and it, they were within their right to do it. So the Broncos are within their right to do it. It's a question of what is right or wrong, and I don't think this is necessarily – it might be legally right, yeah. but it's still wrong. Apparently, the season ticket account policy begins with the phrase, quote, a season ticket account is a revocable license issued annually by PDB Sports Limited, a licensor. So they're on stable legal ground here. That's not it, though. It's To me, this is more about the sentiment right. and the look. You know, for, for, for such a small amount – I mean, Broncos fans are great – not, these 400 seats aren't all of a sudden giving the Chargers the advantage when they're I, playing a mile high. We, like, we, the, the Raiders don't walk in there and go, wow, feels like a home game. They absolutely don't. So let's not insult the people in Denver where this is not making a dent in whether or not this is perceived as a home game or not a home game. One thing I was really shocked by was the editorial board of the Denver Post. And this is a line they have as they have a, a they've written about this and the headline is the Denver Broncos were right to revoke some season tickets. And this is, this, they said they're right. And one of the things about it, they're talking about, um, you know, the team had found a pattern of selling all or most tickets and, and revoke some of these, some of these uh, season ticket holders. And this is a quote they said, good riddance. The point of holding season tickets shouldn't be profit. That privilege is reserved for the team. Yeah, I don't. What I... does that even mean? Are you talking for the fan here? How no. can you be talking for the no, fan they're here? Talking, they're in bed with the owner. I mean, they're in bed with the Broncos. I don't understand it. It's no. a, sure, an extra perk of holding season tickets is the so ability to get them to friends right. or sell them above face. But if you or someone you know doesn't plan on attending the games, 
what's the point of holding the tickets except as so, a side venture <laughs> at the expense of the fans? Who? What fan is cares about this? Right. That, Unless the guy, the person is being which, disruptive, like you said. Which newspaper was that? Denver Post. Right. So that was like the Denver Post would go uh, and root for Goliath as they took on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who are you rooting for? Right. They're rooting for the billionaires to make more money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what planet are we on? I don't know, but that is the planet we are on. That's an amazing quote. That is <laughs> Good riddance. <laughs> the point of holding season tickets shouldn't be for profit. That privilege is reserved for the team. How much more can they squeeze out of us? This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, sign up to be an O'Rewards member today. Start earning instantly. O'Rewards members earn $5 back for every 150 points you earn. It's fast, easy, and free only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, your number to call. Let's head out to Colorado Springs. It's Steve at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Steve? Hey, good morning. Good morning, yeah, Steve. I think you're you're barking up the wrong tree there. The, the whole idea of that argument is that there's a lot of people that want to get in there to see that game, and they can't. And uh, the owners, I don't think the owners are making billions of dollars off their football team. The reason they got that football team is because they made billions of dollars somewhere else. They're, they're, that team is a is a whole different. It's not a money making deal. Wait, if Steve, 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 it's absolutely a money-making deal. Well, do you Steve, think they're doing this out of the well, kindness of their heart as like a public service for the city I, of Denver? I, Steve, I understand you have yeah, to be. Matter, I, I understand you, fact, we all understand I, you I have think, to be wealthy before you can buy an NFL team, right? They're not handing it to the guy down on the corner, right? So there's no doubt about it. But if you think that um, you know you own, you're an NFL owner just for the fun of it, <laughs> uh, just yeah. for a grand old time, and let's see exactly. Uh, let's make Sundays more entertaining and interesting. I mean, come on. Uh, that's moronic. Uh, you you make well, uh, the NFL owners print money. Well, I just think that uh, if you were complaining about money, you ought to complain about the athletes making so much money. But nobody I don't complain about, about it. I don't complain. enjoy seeing the athletes. I, I, I Why would the, we I, complain about the athletes? They're they the com- ones who are putting their bodies on the line, yeah. and they're the ones who are providing the entertainment. This, this is why people root the entertainment for Goliath. For you. Why? Right. This why? is like rooting well, for. Uh, this is like rooting for for the big banks. I, I don't know. This is like rooting for yeah, over the little guy. It sounds to me like you haven't gotten over the election yet. No, it's people not bad. I'm talking about people are going to those people are going to those games because they like that. They like the fact that those owners are there. They're not mad at those owners. Wait, you're showing like up you're to the game because the owner. Steve, Steve, what? You're the, showing what up you, to the game for the you, owner. What are you talking about? You want to line well, the, you the, the you want to line the owner's you pockets? Running, you still playing the election? Uh, how am I? How are we talking about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton this morning, Steve? Are you okay? You're talking. You're talking about the 1%, the rich, bad guys. I'm not, I'm not talking the about, the, I'm talking not talking about the rich, bad it guys. It's bad. I, I, think it, I think if I have season tickets, I could do whatever the hell I want with them. If I want to sell them and make uh, 400% profit, so be it. No, that's where you're wrong. No, See, that's, that's where I should be right. Listen to me. That's where because the, that's where the NFL owner is wrong. What's that? You guys got all morning. The whole idea of the football team is it's the Denver Broncos. People go to that because they're supporting the Denver Broncos. People in Denver, it's a it's a community thing. People like the Denver Broncos. They don't care if that guy's a billionaire. They're grateful for that. Oh, I oh, don't know Steve, what I have no, you are I, talking about, What are you about, talking Steve? about? Are you all right this morning, bud? In a long uh, week? Are you okay? 
I, I seriously. Mean, I mean, are you all right? You think, you think, nobody, no, you think the Broncos are, you think the Broncos, honestly, that they own this team because they feel like they are just doing a good thing for the community and they don't care about making money? What kind of businessmen, how can they be good absolutely. enough business people to actually buy, have enough money to buy the team if that was their ethos? And by the way, if you think that I'm not over the election, the exact theory and philosophy that you are spouting right now is probably not the side of the aisle that you think it's about. Okay? You're actually looking more left-leaning and socialist it, yeah. than you are anything else by that point of view. Okay? I think the team, the people actually believe that those owners are doing that as a community service. Well, those right, people they, would be wrong. Well, they, Stop drinking well, the Kool-Aid. Think, uh, well, people are trying to tell. I don't know who these people are, but you're drinking something. Well, no. His point is that if, if you're on the waiting list, you get now an opportunity to buy tickets because you want to go to the games. You're not looking to maximize the profit. And that the Broncos are doing right by the fan base of people that actually want to go to the games. Well, I mean, which is, it's a viewpoint. The problem with Steve is that if you're going to make a tangible argument um, and have a conversation, an intelligent conversation about it, uh, stick to the point at hand. This has nothing to do with, uh, this is not about politics. This is not about religion. There's nothing about any of that. It's a case of a scenario where in, in our society, you should be able to, when you are legally able to uh, capitalize, and that is what capitalism is, um, in a free marketplace, uh, and I own tickets, and someone is willing to pay me four times the price for said ticket because they're dying to go to that game, I should not, I should not be penalized for that where my season tickets are then, in fact, revoked because that's listen, not fair. And the Broncos have the right to take the ticket away. We've already said this. Right. They are within they their legal right. They want to do. What I'm saying is it's a bad look. Because it's such a small amount of people who are doing this, and they're talking about 400 seats in a stadium of 76,000. Right. Let's head out to Fort Worth. It's Joe at CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Joe? How you doing, miss? Uh, what up? <laughs> man, I don't know what happened this morning, but these people are out of control. Um, I just want to tell you a story that I heard from our local short, uh, show this, um, I think it was yesterday, Friday morning. Okay. It was talking about one of the uh, season ticket owners from Denver, and uh, he was complaining that his got revoked. But they actually sent him a letter that stating that they reviewed his past couple years, and in the past years before that, he also sold his tickets the whole year. Right. And then I also, they also mentioned the story about a guy who was sick, and he sold his last year's tickets, but then they reviewed his from the years before, and he went to the games before that. So they actually renewed his license. They yeah. gave his back. They're doing right. it on a case-by-case. So, case. You're allowed to appeal if you are one of the people right. who gets their uh, tickets revoked. And in my opinion, you know, if you're, if you're just selling them for money, I think it's all right that they're taking them away, giving them a chance for the people who, you know, the diehard fans who want to buy those season tickets and are willing to pay that more money too. Yeah, that's what we're, we'll agree to disagree, where you think it's a case of the, the Bronco fan, the Broncos are standing up for uh, the fan that, that can't get the tickets because people are buying them and they're not attending the game. So they want people that are going to buy the tickets and actually attend the games for the most part. Uh, you know, we'll agree to disagree. Um, Listen, there's the, the, there's the privileged few, they hold 22,000 season ticket accounts. It represents 97% of the stadium's capacity. Okay, season ticket holders, 22,000 of them, 97% of the stadium's capacity are held by season ticket holders, and we're talking about 400 seats. This is not an epidemic. 
You know, this is not this is not a lot of fans who are doing this. This is the ones that want to capitalize on owning season tickets and they want to sell them. I mean, is it's crazy to me that people don't think this is the right. Okay, maybe, yes, there is a season ticket holder, a diehard fan who's not getting the season tickets. Right. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't just, uh, Maggie, I, it's like, I, I agree with you. It's life. Right, that, that is, and you got to just go out there and wait your turn. Wait. Right, I, wait your turn, but... I, I listen, and I I could see both sides. I, I understand where they're where uh, people are coming from. Where now they have the right to go out there and potentially buy a season ticket that they didn't have before, and they want to use the games. They want to go with right. their family and friends. They they they're not looking uh, to profit off the ticket. Um, but uh, you know that's neither here nor there. I, I get that point. I get that argument. Uh, but and we can both go out there and see it. But I, I just don't agree with it. Uh, you know, I, I think if I if I waited and went through the entire due process and waited my turn to go out there and get season tickets, once I do, you know, if, unless I'm doing something illegal, uh, you know, and I mentioned before, unless I'm, I'm selling them to, like you know, people are, right, a degenerate that's going to the game and is getting kicked out and is intoxicated and starting fights, then I know that's going to come back on me. But if none of that happens, I should not have – um, I, I should not have my attendance be noted by the Denver Broncos like I'm going to elementary school. I mean, honestly, you know, did I show up or didn't I show up? I mean, what did you buy? What didn't you buy? Then is it going to come down to a case where, you know, they could could they go out and say, well, you're not spending enough money when you're going to games? You know, you're not buying beer. You're not buying food. You're not doing this. You're not doing that. We can get other people in here that all of a sudden are spending more money per person when they enter our stadium. Therefore, we're maximizing our profit. I mean, they could, I mean, conceivably speaking, and there's going to come a point in time where not only do you know the name, the address, and whether a person's attending, you're going to know exactly, every team's going to know exactly what that person spends every time they step in that stadium. You know what's funny? Like, how did they monitor this is a question of mine. Because this actually came up, you know, with the Adam Jones thing in Boston last week. You know, where he was got the uh, was called a racist name by a fan. Yes. And I'm wondering, like, listen, I'm all in favor of taking away that fan's ticket, not allowing them back into the stadium because you can't you can't yell racist things at someone. You know, that's just that is. I understand the First Amendment. But that is not okay, and no. you can't do that in a stadium, right? People feel unsafe. But like, how could you tell whether someone? I would love to know how, how they did this investigation. Like, are you taking photos of the seat and seeing who's in it? Are you checking, like, their Facebook page to see if they posted any photos from the game? Like, how do you find out? Well, every what... team's got a security personnel, and I'm sure they have they, – and they've got cameras all over the I know, place. but we're talking about thousands and thousands of people. No, I, mean, I get it. But in today's modern technology, you can I go out there so. and you could pinpoint where a person's sitting and what's transpiring. You can, you can oh, do definitely, that. Oh, definitely, because I think – you know, I was thinking about this, like I said, with Adam Jones. It's like, all right, say you never want to sell a ticket to that fan again. Like, how could you prevent that from happening really? Realistically, unless you had some kind of like facial recognition software or someone, everyone had to do a thumbprint before they walk into the game. How would you ever know? Because the person could buy it off a friend. I mean, your, your name doesn't is not on the ticket if you buy it on the secondary market. Right. It's not and, like Moose, you are a season ticket holder. You sell to me and all of a sudden now the ticket says Maggie. Right. And then there's a rush of fans going in. So it's not a case where you're checking everybody's face when they're walking into Fenway they Park. Are. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like the last game I went to was a baseball game, and you know you're going through the turnstile, but you're going through pretty fast, right. especially if you don't have a bag to check or anything like that. 
I don't know how they do it. I, I think it. Uh, I'm. I'm not sure. I don't know exactly how they do that, Maggie. Yeah. But I, you know, it's just so funny. Like, of course, someone like take it to the election. It's like honestly, the president's a businessman. What do you think he'd say about this? Well, right, and and it's Come not on. about that. This it has is not about. To do with that. Right. It's not about right or left, uh, conservative or or liberal. It's a case of what we feel is right and wrong, and that's the that's the point. I mean that that that's. That's all there. That's all there is, and we can agree to disagree. That's what makes our country go round. That's what makes uh, America great. To where uh, you can have differing viewpoints when you when you look at a story. But I just don't think it's right. I don't think it's a good look. Um, I don't think it's a good look if you're uh, the Denver Broncos, and I don't think it's a good look for the National Football League. But Maggie, you know, ultimately, though, speaking is that fans ultimately don't care. I mean, honestly, we've had two, you know, a couple calls this morning on it. You know, they sided with the Denver Broncos yep. because they feel like the Broncos are standing up for the fans that actually want to go to the games. Um, and the NFL has had a lot of negative storylines, and, and their popularity does not get affected no. in any way, shape, or form. And this is certainly gonna, not going to affect the popularity of the Broncos or the National Football League moving forward. I mean, they might turn over, turn off, you know, 150, 200 people when it comes to the National Football League of how they handle this. Um, if their ticket season tickets are in fact finalized and revoked, uh, but that's uh, you know that's a, a penny in the bucket. I mean, I'm just shocked if someone would really be concerned or say that you know concerned about the owner. Right. Like I've never even the beloved owners, like the Ralph Wilson and Buffalo people, love Ralph Wilson and Buffalo. I don't think anyone was really all that concerned about Ralph's bottom line. You know, all they wanted was for him to spend money to make the team better. Right. That's the only time you want to hear about the owner and money. That's I, it. That's it. Right. <laughs> I mean, that is it. It's rooting for that. It's just, oh, it's just absolutely crazy to me. Um. Anyway, yes, the NFL's popularity, nothing is going, nothing is going to be taking that away. But I do think what's a bit interesting is as we're having this quarterback carousel moves the last couple weeks, really the quarterback conversation has been the quarterbacks who are going to be moving to the broadcast booth next year, Tony Romo and Jay Cutler. But there are still quarterbacks out there that are unsigned. One very notable quarterback out there that's unsigned that I think at this point is probably raising some eyebrows. Yeah, and we'll unpack that story coming up after the the top of the hour update with John. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's fascinating. It's interesting when you look at, you know, what Cutler's going to do in the broadcast booth for Fox and what Romo will do in the broadcast booth for for CBS and – you know, those are two very, very public hirings by those two, uh, you know, uh, communications giants. And we'll see how the, the two former quarterbacks do. It'll be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see. But, you know, if I'm out there and if I'm Colin Kaepernick, I'm probably sitting by the phone calling my agent wondering, why is Blaine Gabbert getting signed? And why are there so many stories out there about the kind of money that I'm willing to accept and the kind of position that I'm willing to accept. And why is my side of the story not getting out there enough? Like, why are there so many, what it seems like, misconceptions about what he wants his NFL future to be? We'll get more into Colin Kaepernick and um, that quarterback saga here coming up uh, after the top of the hour. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Moose and Maggie with you. That is your number to call. Hit us up on Twitter at Mark Malusis at Moose and Maggie. Or at CBS Sports Radio, two way, three ways you can go about doing that. We got two hours down, two hours to play with. A lot of guests coming up, including Wade Phillips. We'll chat about Colin Kaepernick and why is the 
former 49er quarterback, still unsigned. We'll do that next. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along here on this Saturday morning. Two hours down, two to play with. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Coming up later on this hour, we'll talk a little NBA. Steve Kyler, basketballinsiders.com, will join us. Hit us up on Twitter at Moose and Maggie, at Maggie Gray, or at Mark Malusis. Three ways you can go about doing that. And we kick off our... Number three, Maggie, uh, talk a little bit about Colin Kaepernick still being unsigned, the former San Francisco 49ers quarterback. Well, I think this this story got a whole new wave after Blaine Gabbert signed because now we said Jay Cutler, Tony Romo, they're going to the broadcast booth, so they're not in the running to be signed by a team. When Blaine Gabbert gets signed before Colin Kaepernick gets signed, I think that starts to raise a couple eyebrows, and then you start seeing some, you know, stories coming out. Tim Kawakami, the Mercury News, kind of basically trying to figure out where some of this information about Kaepernick that is now out there circulating that is not necessarily true, where is it coming from? And that was off of a Peter King report saying that the people in the 49ers organization believe that Kaepernick was more focused on his activism than focused on football. And Ka- Kaepernick then responded through Dave Zirin of the nation saying that's just absolutely not true. I mean, there's just no way... First of all, to quantify that, he said he's not going to stop being an activist, but he said he is not going to take a knee this year. He's going to stand for the anthem, that he's in great football shape, that he's not demanding a big contract because how could he be demanding a contract when literally no team is sitting down with him to even have a discussion? How could he be demanding a starting job as opposed to a backup job when no team has sat down with him for a discussion? So it's a lot of this misinformation that's coming out, and then when you see that happening with Blaine Gabbert getting signed, it raises a lot of eyebrows about whether or not Kaepernick is not getting an opportunity or not even getting a meeting with teams. Not an opportunity, not getting a meeting because of his political views. And yeah. I think that would be a bad look for the NFL, honestly, if he does. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, listen, I, I think there's a lot to unwrap when, when you look at Kaepernick. Sure. Number one is nobody's going to tell you uh, or no one's going to admit when you're looking to try and find work, Right that um, his political activism is more important to his life than football, right? So regardless, you know, I don't know where the report initially surfaced. Obviously, the 49ers didn't feel like they had a future with him at the quarterback spot. Especially uh, at that number. At at that number, right? Uh, They've moved on. But nobody's going to come out there and say, you know, if if I'm looking for work in broadcasting, Maggie, I'm not going to go out there and say, you know, I got a real estate side gig that I'm really into. Right, I <laughs> love doing real estate. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, uh, you know, I love doing real estate. I'm going to tell you that I love being a broadcaster. Sure, I sure. love going on air. I love being a host. So that's neither here nor there to me, right? When you look at Kaepernick, I, I look at it, and and I'm not telling you it's a great look. I, I understand, and you can see it go out there both ways. I just don't think Colin Kaepernick is particularly good. I, I don't think he's a good player. Um, I think he once was. I've already, I also seen other guys that once were great players, and when they lose it, they lose it drastically, and they're no longer great players. The, they're no longer worth, you know, the, the juice is no longer worth the squeeze. And I look at Colin Kaepernick, he has not evolved or advanced as a signal caller. You know, and I'm not reading into the fact of where his weight is. You know, I you know he was quite thin last year. I mean, that was well documented. He had a lot of surgeries in the offseason. 
He went to this vegan diet. It's great that he's back up to his playing weight of 230 pounds. It's, you know, he was a physical marvel. He no longer has the speed to go out there and get the edge. He's taken a lot of hits. He, he, he goes out there. He's not the most accurate quarterback in the world. Uh, you've got to fit the offense around his strengths. It's not a guy that he's a plug-and-play kind of player. I mean, there's a lot to go into and unwrap when you look at Colin Kaepernick. Because if you want to say, okay, well, he's going to be my backup quarterback, but he's probably in all likelihood going to be a little bit different uh, than your starting quarterback. I, I, I mean, unless your, your starter is very similar in nature uh, to Kaepernick as a player. I mean, you know, I've heard one rumor, maybe the Dallas Cowboys bring him in as being their backup quarterback. To me, that, that would work, uh, and, and that would be a fit. But I, I don't think it's necessarily all about his political stance. I think it more has to do with how he is, how good he is as a player. I don't think he's particularly good. Well, I mean, but then do you think that Blaine Gabbert really is a better quarterback than no, Colin Kaepernick? I, I, I or don't. that, that uh, Brandon Whedon gives you a better chance to win if your starter goes down than a Colin Kaepernick well, would? Well, Whedon's no longer in the NFL. I thought he has a job still, doesn't he? No, I don't think so. I think his last job was with the Cowboys, and he embarrassed himself. <laughs> I think that was it. I would think that was it for Brandon Whedon. I mean, listen. Uh, but, no, I, I get it, Maggie, but there, just as you're free to say whatever you want and free to – Maggie, there are repercussions to your actions. And and I, I'm not talking about the very fact of trying to improve the relationship between the African-American community and the police force around our country, right? That's a great cause. That's wonderful. We said it at the time, right? And I had no issue with Colin Kaepernick going out there and taking a knee during the national anthem, right? But he goes out there and wears, you know, if you're going to go out and make the decision to where, you know, socks depicting uh, police officers as pigs, there's repercussions to that. There I, is. But I, I think we've moved past that. No, I, he apologized I don't, I don't for think, it. But it does not, Maggie, it does not matter because the problem, we, we come off a segment 40 minutes where we're talking about fans willing to pay hundreds of dollars to go out there and watch a team. If, if enough fans are turned off by a player being a part of an organization where it affects your bottom line, you're not going to do it. I know, but Moose, there's so if many players. If it's going to be a distraction in the NFL, you're not going to do it. I'll deal with a distraction if the player is good. I'm not going to deal with a distraction if I don't think that player is going to be a difference maker. But don't you feel like it's a little misguided if people really are that upset by a pair of socks that he has since apologized for, as opposed to players who go out there who are getting arrested DUI, domestic violence. I mean, we're talking about socks here. I mean, Colin Kaepernick's never had one sniff with the law. He's never had anything off the field Maggie, that has been a character concern. But he's concern. not a good player. I think he's better than some backups. Anthony oh, telling me Brandon Whedon with the Texans. Uh, Brandon, still in the league. <laughs> Brandon Whedon's still with the Texans? That's what Anthony says on the depth chart. Uh, I don't I don't Tom Savage was their backup quarterback. Must be year. the third string, I guess. Oh. Well, now they have Deshaun Watson who they Yeah, I don't uh but anyway, you look at the very fact of um, Colin. Ka tell me the players in the NFL, right, that are getting in trouble with the law, that are not quality players that are still in the league. Is Greg Hardy still in the league? He's not. But Moose, how? Well, he's not because he's no longer a good player. He was no longer a good player. Right. So the juice was no longer worth the squeeze. Right. They'll deal with the headache. If Greg Hardy is going out there and having 13, 14 sacks a season. But here's the thing. If you like, say for, let's say for a Pac-Man Jones, for instance, right? Like really, even at his age in special teams, 
he's worth the headache for the Bengals and Colin Kaepernick may not be. I mean, there are sometimes the guys who are being kept around, even though they aren't great players, like a Greg Hardy type who would, you know, you think be a difference maker and would have to be a difference maker to get signed. Sure. Like there are guys who are on the periphery who are still bad well, guys. Well, I, I get it. I, I well, but so not... they do have guys who are on the team who are not necessarily great. Well, who, who? they still keep around. Well, well I would say Pac-Man Jones. Well, Pac, well, hold on a second. Pac-Man Jones has been a starting cornerback in the National Football League for, he can start, he can play. But he's still now, I mean, how, really relegated to a lot of special teams at this point. I, huh? I understand that, but he can provide something to the team that the team feels that can go, go out there and take advantage of. Well, I of. guess that's where you and I differ because I still see Kaepernick, if I look at him, say, versus a Blaine Gabbert, which is why this conversation... Blaine Gabbert's a third-string quarterback. I know, so maybe Colin Kaepernick's a third-string quarterback. Why is he not getting a meeting? Well, like, the, why is he literally not getting a meeting? I have no... I have no but, Maggie, when... No, I before, think we do have an idea. Before, I think we do know. Well, hold on a second. Before he... Before, there was one team that was interested in him before he t- ever took a knee. There was the, one team. The 49ers, the Jets? Yeah. No, no, was there, it was the Denver Broncos. There oh, was the Broncos, one team, right, 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 right. There was one team that was interested before he ever took a knee. Yeah, that we knew was, about. No, no, that's it. That's it. Albert Breer reported that uh, for you guys uh, weeks ago. There was one team that was interested. So if there was one team that was interested when the 49ers basically threw him out there and was begging for someone to take him off their hands, why am I stunned now that nobody's interested? I'm stunned. How could you possibly be stunned? Well, because I think Denver was looking at him as a starting option. Right. No, after no, Peyton no, Manning no, retired. They filled that need. And they filled that need. But I'm just so stunned that nobody would want to bring him in for a meeting for a backup role. I'm, uh, I'm it, stunned by that. I really it, am. If I don't. 60% if I, completion percentage last year. Four interceptions. That's it. I mean, the guy, I understand. On a that, dreadful football team. On a terrible team with not a lot of weapons. I, I On a so, dreadful team. Moose, not a great offensive line, not a lot of weapons. As opposed to the 49er team that he took to the Super Bowl. Right, 49 They which had was, great weapons. They had great and weapons. And a great offensive line. And a great ground game. And a great coach. And a number one defense. Right. Right. So he was so able to thrive on a, good, on a good, uh, pl- on a good re- team I, and he's I've bad on people, a bad team. I've heard people reshape the, no, no, he, he, honestly, Maggie. He, he was not the driving force to that team. The driving force to that team was the defense and the ground game. He, he was a good player. People he over, was electric. Uh, people, no, no, he, he was electric for one playoff run where Jaworski basically yeah. said he was going to be the greatest quarterback of all time. Right. Right? right. Uh, where that he that fell probably o- wasn't right, fair. Where he fell over himself, right? So uh, let's be realistic here, right? What He did not evolve as a signal caller. Can he, is he great at running? Is he an accurate quarterback? Not an accurate quarterback. It's he's not, not. It's he's better than than Gabbert. Oh, but we're looking at a third string quarterback. And but, but, but maybe gonna, he could be Ma- third Mackie, string. Moose. Why would I want a distraction if I'm dealing with a third string quarterback? Because why I don't think a, he's going to be a distraction this year. Uh, how is he not going to be? He said he's not taking a knee. All what does that is, matter? All he's doing what is, is that? Why is an NFL team where it's difficult for me to win? If I don't look at a quarter as a player as being a difference maker, why do I need to take on a distraction? I just don't think it's a good look for the team if it looks Based like he's being if he if it looks like Moose that he's being blackballed, the if NFL, you will, Maggie, for the having N- for taking a stance. He's not that good. He's not that good. If he was a good player, he'd be signed. But he actually is better than other backup quarterbacks who are he, out there. No, but he's a distraction. 
I think that there are other players out there that are more distracting than him. No, they're for not. Reasons that, for reasons, Moose, yes, there are. They're not. They're not. Give me the other example of players that are going to go out there where the team is being consistently asked about one topic over and over again. I think where, you're going to see it with the Bengals. If you're an NFL head coach, is that really what you want as you're getting your team prepared? That's not. You don't think You want to minimize distractions. You don't want to go out there and inflame them. You don't think, first of all, we don't know that coaches and players are going to be asked over and over again about Kaepernick. They were last year. I know. Meanwhile, Moose, meanwhile, with that, Kaepernick was voted as one of the favorite players on the team. What That's an award. Great. That does nothing His for me. His teammates love him. That's so great. They, so he's not a distraction, The team though. was dreadful. But that was they because the team, team was they terrible. They fired everybody. They fired the coach. He was playing under Jim Tom Sula and they Chip Kelly. They fired Kellyos. everybody. That, and how is that Kaepernick's fault? I mean, it's not all Kaepernick's fault, but that means nothing to me. The team stuck. The team was no terrible. no leadership whatsoever. The ownership is awful. They are terrible. They need to bring in a clean house, okay? He was too expensive for the new regime, so I totally understand that. But th- that team was awful, and it- Kaepernick was a blessing of a distraction for them because Chip Kelly should have been getting more feet to the fire for that team and for how bad they were. And Jed York should be getting more feet to he the did. fire. He- and Trent Bulky for not well, for course, not filling that team with have. talent. I mean, walk so around, they can say Kaepernick, Kaepernick. And- Meanwhile, the teammates love him. Uh, that's great that the teammates love them. So that's he's not fantastic. a distraction in the right locker no, no, room. He's no. not a distraction. For an NFL team, for a coach, he is. Whether or not his teammates like them or not, he's a good guy. That's great. Okay, so Marvin Lewis now. Pac-Man Jones is not a distraction. Joe Mixon, drafting him, that's not going to be a distraction. No, when you Joe get to, Mixon can play. When you get to training no, camp, guys aren't going to be asked about Joe, Joe Mixon. Not, not over and over again. Joe Mixon can play. Joe Mixon can play. If that, he, that's Maggie, it's not that it's it's honestly Moose, it's if really if he it's really not wrong. that difficult. This is not rocket sneezes, science. I know, but it's if whether he or not he can play wrong, or not, it's going to be a distraction. It's whether or not he can play. If he speeds in a school zone, it's going to be a distraction. Maggie, can Kaepernick play? I'm not willing to say no in a backup Cap- role. Uh, that means he can't I'm, play. I'm throwing out the 49ers last year because they play. were terrible. Right, so I'm making. I'm going. I'm going out there screaming for a guy to get a back. And I think oh, at no. some point in time we'll land a backup quarterback job. If someone right? gets hurt, that's great. I oh, think it's a bad look I, for the I'm NFL. I'm not rooting against them. I, I don't. I, I don't. Honestly, I, I don't because if it's if it's a distraction, if he's not a good player. If he's not going to mean anything to me, if he's not going to equate to more W's or L's, if he potentially, if I'm a coach or a team, potentially, if he could mean where he takes anything away, potentially, and distracts my team, and maybe cause, I'm not worth it. It's not worth it to me. It's not worth it. But why do you assume that what he's doing is a negative and he said he's not taking it from my team off the test. As opposed to the DUIs and it, the and the drug the suspensions focus, of other people. But those guys can play. Those guys the, are starters. It's a bad look for the league. Those guys can go like out there and help out. me win football games. Maggie, it's it's really it's whether or not you it, whether or not you can win each and every week. Can I go out there? Is a guy gonna go out there and help me get to the quarterback? Help me catch footballs, help me run the football. If those guys help me block. If those guys can go out there, I you know, for the most part, I don't care necessarily what they're doing away. This is the NFL mindset. I don't care what they're doing away from the football field if they can help me win on Sundays. That's the mindset. Care. It's been the mindset for years. Then they shouldn't care what Kaepernick's activism is off the field either. I'm not saying he should be a charity I, case, Moose. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying it's, it looks bad for the NFL if he sits there while the Blaine Gabberts of the world and even Brandon Whedon is a third-string quarterback and I he's sitting look into there. That. I mean, Whedon might be on that roster in name only. I mean, Brandon Whedon was not an option a year ago. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. What's your take? Moose and Maggie with you. CBS Sports Radio. 
This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, yes, rolling right along here on this Saturday morning. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Maybe I will switch my stance uh, because uh, I didn't see Whedon did sign two years with the Texans. Uh, Yeah, if he has a job, anybody could have a job (laughs) because he stinks. Listen, and, and I was surprised because, Honestly. you know, Bill O'Brien, obviously, they were in the market for a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, they made I the big trade-up for I'd, Deshaun Watson. I'd love to see how much that guaranteed money. I'd, I'd, I'd bet anything on it that he's not with that team to start the year. He might not be, but he was an off-season signing. No, he was. A terrible player. Let's head out to Dallas. <laughs> John, what's going on, John? Hey, thanks for taking my call, y'all. Um, doing, I just want to say, Moose, you said it earlier. No, there's nothing that's going to affect the bottom dial, uh, bottom line of the NFL. So it really comes down to the owners, and the owners are obviously just don't like him. Because, I mean, he can help out a lot of football teams as a backup role, you know. I mean, Deshaun, I mean, the, the Seahawks and um, the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, he can be right behind them and he can fit that system perfectly. But it, it really just comes down to the owners. And if Kaepernick wanted to stay in the NFL, it's really his fault for voicing this political opinion when probably 90% of the owner is a Republican. I don't even know if it's about that, though. Like, I I get it that if he wants to speak out, there are repercussions for for speaking out. I just think that's a – if this is the repercussion for doing what he did, I feel like that's a bad look for the NFL. You know, do you really think that, like, Geno Smith is going to help the Giants more than Colin Kaepernick potentially could? Yeah, but Geno Smith is not going to make the team. I mean, he, you know, potential. I, he he's got two hundred fifty thousand dollars guaranteed. Geno does. Yeah, it's nothing. Right. I mean, but I, we don't know that that Mark that uh Mark Sanchez that Colin Kaepernick is looking for anything. You think, so Colin Kaepernick? If 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 a team went to him today and say, "I'll give you a quarter of a million dollars guaranteed to be my third string quarterback," you think Kaepernick would take it? You know, I'm not sure, and I don't wouldn't want to put words in his mouth. That would obviously be he would probably see that as being a little insulting, considering that he just is coming off of a starting job, even right. though the team was absolutely dreadful. But if he really is 100% committed to being on the field, which he says he would, he is. I think that he would take a prove it deal. I mean, can you prove yourself as that third string or second string? Yeah, I think you can. I mean, I don't think that he's necessarily a terrible influence also to have in a locker room. I mean, I like I said, I've been very critical of the Cincinnati Bengals for the people they've put in their locker room in terms of Pac-Man Jones. I mean, to have someone like Kaepernick, who I know you, you, you hate the Sox, but like if we can get past just that one thing for a second, he actually has very coherent arguments for what he's doing. He's doing not, a lot I'm of the activism can, and, and charity right, work, you know? I, I'm a, it's I'm, not a terrible look not, for a team. But I'm not saying he, he's not doing he's not going doing good stuff with the charity work and everything like that. I, I and I really believe if a team thought he could play that they'd sign him. I mean, maybe I'm being naive, but I really I really honestly look at him and I've seen really bad guys get get contracts and get millions of dollars like real criminals yeah like get millions of dollars because they can play right i have a hard time thinking colin, Kaep- colin kaepernick for his political view is being blackballed by the nfl it's just so different you know like we there is a bit of a playbook for having a guy who is a bad guy a criminal in your locker room. Well, we've seen the, it before it's is, excused that behavior no. this is very different you know well, it's, the, it hits in a different type of way because as we can see we have a call, almost full call screen here like people are very very much uh connected to this and feel a visceral way about it more than they do seeing a guy getting a DUI in the newspaper let's head out to Idaho it's Danny it's CBS Sports Radio what's up Danny oh you know just driving this truck down the road um, drive it straight 
it's fun. So here's one wonder if Kaepernick replaced Alex Smith and was good enough to do that, played in the Super Bowl and all that, has he really dwindled down in his abilities to where the teams are looking at them as, oh, he might be able to fit in as a second string and as a backup to, you know, help the team? Or is it is it really the political thing? Is it him making a stand for what he believed in that in the 2017 era that we live in that people are so ignorant that they get offended and they're saying, I don't want to touch them because that makes our team, our whole team, our whole franchise look bad. Well, that's what Moose and I are uh, discussing yeah, today. You know, I mean, he thinks it's about the play. I think there's a little bit more to it. Um, and I think, you know, I think it's a bad look for the NFL. Someone out there might think it's a great look for the NFL. Listen, you say this, you do this, you tick off the fans or a large majority of them in this way, then you don't deserve to play in the NFL anymore. I am not of that belief, but. I, I respect other people's opinions. Let's head down to uh, Columbia, South Carolina. It's James at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, James? Hey, hey guys. First off, I love y'all show, but I was just listening that y'all two go, uh, go back and forth. And see, it's been like that ever since he kneeled it, you know, during the national anthem. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you took like a Montana or a Brady and – they did something, you know, like that, then that would go down as, okay, you made a bad decision on uh, on on a view of yours, but the fact of the matter is you're good enough, you can make that hit. Now, to me, he basically only had one good year, and that was a Super Bowl run. Now, I've always been against and will always be against uh, – celebrities making political views like that because that's what happens is they get everybody in a big tizzy. And as a veteran, you know, to me, that was just poor, poor choices on two things, kneeling for the national anthem because look what happened. That got a bunch of other athletes who probably wouldn't have had the guts to do something like that all across the country doing it and to send the wrong uh, idea to a bunch of the youth around here and also well james that's your opinion to some people that sent a message that was not wrong we appreciate your your service to our country as a veteran there are two sides of this like for your side which is you think it was wrong there's another side that's saying this was something that started a conversation that needed to be had and I, I have no honestly, I have no issue with. I, I said he is yeah, right. No, you've and always said I, that. I, I don't have an issue, and I think if you have a platform and you, you want to use it and influence and bring about change, positive change, I'm all for it. You can do it. Um, it's going to bother some people, but you have every right to go out there and do it. And and Maggie, I just come down to where I, I've seen so many guys over the years that are really bad people. Yes. In the National Football League, right? In every sport. And and, and every, get jobs, yep. right? And get paid a lot of money because they can play, right? I have a, I have a hard time envisioning the fact that Colin Kaepernick is, is getting blackballed in the National Football League because of his political stance. I, I do think, are there some that they, he turned that off to? No doubt. I mean, I'm not naive to think that there are instances where there are owners and whatever where they want no part of Colin Kaepernick, right? But there's enough jobs, enough opportunities to look at him as a player and say, can he help us win? 
I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. And I don't look at Colin Kaepernick now at this stage of his career as a guy that can help me win. That That's ultimately how I look at Colin Kaepernick. I'm not, hopefully he gets a job. Listen, if Brandon Whedon gets a job, he should have a job, right? If uh, you know some of the guys have jobs in the national, he, Colin Kaepernick, I think by the time we get to week one of the NFL season, he's going to have a job. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, keeping a car clean is a simple and expensive form of maintenance. O'Reilly Auto Parts has all the cleaning and detailing products you need, including washes, waxes, leather, and vinyl care. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts for Clean Car Month and pick up some today. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. Number to call, let's head down to uh, Dallas, Texas. It's Rob at CBS Sports Radio. What's going on, Rob? Hey, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I have a quick reference point to make. I mean, um, I agree with Moose on this one because there is nobody's really holding Kaepernick accountable for what happened last year, and we're all saying that the NFL badge is tarnished. Well, it's tarnished way before what Kaepernick did. Um, I think the reason why Kaepernick is not being hired right now is because there's been reports saying out of the amount of money that he wants to make. Um, I personally don't see him as a second-string quarterback. He was a third-string quarterback doing a protest when all of what was last year was a job interview for him to become a free agent this year. And I don't think he even himself is knows the level that he took that protest to. Because at well, the end of the year, once the protest was over, well, he came out and said, I'm not protesting anymore once n- he became no, no, a free no. agent. Rob, that's, uh, sorry, it was a little hard for me to follow your call there. But I'll pick right. up on the last point there, which is nobody knows – more than Kaepernick, what that protest meant right. because he's sitting here without a job. Right. You cannot say that he doesn't know what he did. He knows he's not doing it no, this he year because he wants to right. keep playing football. So he's willing to make that amends. He just said, I'm not going to stop doing my activism in terms of charity work and other things like that, the camps for kids, all that stuff, he's not going to stop. But believe me, nobody knows more than Kaepernick. He's the one who's standing there without a job. Right. I don't know what else Rob was saying. I, I, I well, couldn't follow. I mean, uh, but uh, uh, listen, I, I'm not making the point that he was wrong. He has every right to do what he did. Um, and uh, and I think it's actually uh, commendable that he did it. I, I just don't look at Kaepernick as a good player, honestly. That's that's the way that I look at Colin Kaepernick. Now, um, before you make, uh, you know, and, and – I think teams need to go out there and do, do their due diligence. And if they're not doing that and they're going under the assumption that he's looking for a certain amount of money without having a conversation, then that's wrong. I mean, honestly, I think you have to have an understanding of of, of what the individual, what the athlete is looking for before you go out there and make any sort of declaration. You know, I don't know what Kaepernick would be willing to sign for. I, I don't. I mean, there have been reports out there, but now we know that those reports are are are, are really more so fake news than anything else. So, I don't know. Should he have a conversation? Should a team have reached out at some point? I would probably, I would venture a guess that a team should have reached out at some point in time and had a conversation with Kaepernick and his representatives. Let's head out to Santa Barbara, California. It's JJ at CBS Sports Radio. What's up, JJ? And JJ is gone. gone. Clemson, South Carolina. Kevin. Hey, how you doing this morning? Good, Kevin. I'm taking a little different approach. I don't know that he had a right necessarily to do what he did during the protest, whether I agree with the protest or not. Um, when he puts on that uniform, he comes out, the, out of the tunnel, he's out there on the field, he's on his employer's time. And when he's out there, he's representing his employer. I have a, a, a 
clause in my contract or my employment about uh, my, my actions and the things that I do, and I'm sure that both of you do. It's not our own free will to go out there during our employer's time and do whatever we want to do and draw attention. The NFL is, is it's in a sports entertainment league. Yes, it's competitive, but when he starts hurting the, either the brand of the of the organization he's representing or the detriment of the team, I think uh, employers have a responsibility and their option to determine whether or not they want him to be part of that. I know, and they did and, terminate him, so obviously they didn't think that it was something that was negative to the point of disparaging the uniform or the 49ers brand, and that's why he started 10 games, 11 games for them last year. Well, that's because it was, last year it was too politically volatile for them to do it that immediate. I don't know they if they were that offended by it, it and if they were that offended by the behavior. I mean, this is this is a, a team that stayed with um, – why am I blanking on his name? The guy who was had the gun, he was arrested a couple times, had to go to rehab, now he's with the Raiders. Alden, Alden Smith. Smith. They stayed with Alden Smith after all the DUIs, pulling a gun on someone at a party. They didn't cut him. I mean, how did they? How is that not disparaging the uniform? I don't disagree, but at the same time, he's, they're not – Alden Smith wasn't doing it on their time necessarily. Kaepernick is choosing to take it away from his employer's time and to be out there on the field during his employer's time. All I'm making the argument is. I get it, Kevin, but that's why their jobs are different than our jobs is because even, say, for example, at your job, right, if you had a situation like Alden Smith that's technically not on your employer's time, it's going to make the headlines in the newspapers, so it does reflect badly back on the employer, whether he does it in the arena or out. That's why they're different than us. They're, they have platforms that are massive. We don't. That they right, are celebrities. We're not. They have the platform. Just because they have the platform, that doesn't give them the, op- the right to do it. They're citizens. And it does give the employer. The employer has the right to whether they want to keep you or not. And they have to find their graceful way out of doing it. I mean, I mean that, that's, that's, all I'm, that's all I'm offering up is that, you know, we're saying that the employer's wrong. It's bad for the NFL. It's all this. Well, the employers in this situation are even passively making a statement that they don't want this a part of the organization or the distraction. They're taking away from the team. Right. I mean, if this was But he already said said he's not going to kneel this year. That's fine. He's already said because the damage is done. He wasn't certain. I agree with the other caller. He wasn't certain exactly how big this was going to, and it blew up bigger than probably what he expected. But if this was golf or tennis and the endorsement rights and and the things that come in only affected him, by all means, go do it. Stand, kneel, sit, fall over, roll over. I don't care what you do. But when it starts affecting the merchantability of the team and the brand of the team, I think the employer has every I, right I and just, responsibility I to stand up. But, Kevin, that. I just cannot. You do have the right to do I that. just cannot yeah. believe that Colin Kaepernick hurt the bottom line of the San Francisco 49ers by literally a penny. You will not convince me that literally they lost a half a cent because of Colin Kaepernick. Because we have outlined over and over again, Moose, that the fans don't care whether a guy is Jack the Ripper or right. whether he's doing anything. The team, the fans are there. And that the NFL, in my opinion, sometimes takes advantage to that, as we were talking about with the Denver Broncos earlier today. They take advantage of the fact that the fans are so loyal in some cases. And they, they, they put think, these clauses yeah. and things in, and they, they totally wield the power of the fan in a way that I think sometimes is a little bit unfair. But I think we've shown... It w- I, I, honestly, do you think the 49ers took a hurt, a hit no, at I, all? I don't. I honestly, I, but I'm, yeah, I, I'm not making that argument. I, I think it's a case of what he is as a player more so than anything else. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, I think there, you know, I, I think there are, there is pushback to what he did last year because I think there, there is a, 
a section of our population that that looks at that as being disrespectful to our country. I totally get that, but and I and I feel like if you if you were and you did feel disrespected, I you absolutely have the right to feel that way. But for, I think for all the people who said they were turning the NFL off because of that, I don't believe. I know the ratings were down last year, but yeah. I don't think it was because of Kaepernick. No, I, the quality of play wasn't great. Syracuse, we go. Brian, CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Brian? Well, I'm on. How are you doing today, guys? Good, Brian. Hey, uh, Maggie, I'm from Syracuse. I love you on the radio. Oh, thanks, Brian. Syracuse, I love it there. Hometown Binghamton representing upstate New York. I, you know what? Actually, I'm really excited to talk to Wade Phillips later. Yeah. Because we got to talk about the Bills a little bit. Anyway, Brian, what's on your mind? But Colin Kaepernick, you know, regardless, when people start saying it's not about his play, I mean, he has had a good NFL career. I mean, 60% completion rate last year off an injury. You know, what was it? How many touchdowns, 16 to four interceptions? Mm -hmm. The guy's been consistent his whole career. How can anybody say he can't play? Uh, this is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, I think mean, I, I, four interceptions, six sixty percent. It's in line. It's better than Gabbert. This is why I, it's raising my eyebrows. I mean, you look at uh, you know every year he's played, it's been consistent. Ten touchdowns, three interceptions, twenty-one eight, nineteen ten. The year he got injured, six five. He comes back after an injury, sixteen four, ninety percent rating. Right, and what is uh, what is the points per game of the teams that he's quarterbacking? Yeah, but who wouldn't who wouldn't take that? And I mean, if anybody to say, and you say uh, you're, you're naive, that if he think you think he's being blackballed, he's being blackballed. Why is he being blackballed? Because of what? Because he's not getting a chance. And you look at his, his the way he plays compared to these other guys. For what reason? They're, they just don't want to. They just don't want to. You know, the so, United States you, comes out so and NFL teams. So guy. NFL teams are so upset by him kneeling before the national the anthem. NFL right? teams aren't accept, that upset they, by they guys knocking women out in elevators. And, they, and, and, they won't. They they won't blackball people that that into athletes that have killed people. The NFL is right? all about that. No, hold on a second. Hold on, Brian. You you're spitting your stuff out. Let me say what I have to say. The NFL won't blackball people that go out there, the individuals, athletes that have killed people in the past, that have beat women, right, But and accused of violence. Uh, but they're going to blackball Colin Kaepernick. Because it's a racial thing. Oh, and come it, on. He said something bad oh, about police on. officers. I think, right. it's, I think it's just – I don't come think it's on. a racial thing. I think it's because it's different. That's why. You can't like answer I that said, question. I think that there's I can't a... answer it. Because it's a racial thing. and it's, it's, it was, He's anti – he come off as anti-police. Well, he wore pig socks. You'd you rather be anti-police in this country than say anything bad. You know, you're, 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 you're that's not true. That's not true. The, NFL could, anti- take on, the NFL could take on. He's not that good of a player. Well, the irony is. Can you say he's not that good of a player? I don't think he's a good player. I don't. I've watched him enough. With. I've watched enough 49er games. I don't think Colin Kaepernick's a good player. Well, listen, I don't know what you were watching last year. Uh, they stunk. Last year, the entire team was bad. He was terrible. 16 uh, I don't care that. about the stats. Tell me about the drive-in, drive-out. Tell me about the incompletions. Tell me about the fact he's got no touch on the football. He's not an accurate quarterback. Not a good team this year. If you can't does. complete 60% of the passes in the NFL today's day and age, you should get out anyway. Yeah, you're just against him. I'm not against him. Yeah, Give are. him a job. I don't care. I'm being realistic. I would not want him on a quarterback in my team. I'll tell you that. Moose, the reason why... We could see You him. take them up in uh, Syracuse. You need them for the Of course. Orange. What, are you crazy? They, they're awful. They should get rid of that Believe program. Believe me, we know. Oh, the Syracuse football team? Yes. Or are you talking about the Bills? Yeah, right. <laughs> Go back to college like Rodney yeah. Dangerfield. Oh, gosh. But the thing is, I think back it's different. School. 
There hasn't been someone like him doing what he did. And I think that NFL teams, quite frankly, don't know how to handle it. I think they don't know. They uh, know what to do with a guy who's been arrested. They know what to do with a guy who's who's uh, an embarrassment that, in it's DUI. Not that difficult of a they day. know what to do with a guy who has a tape of him punching a woman in the face. They know what to do with that. Well, they, they know the fans Ray will Ray, forgive it. Ray they Rice don't know what to. I know, Ray, but Joe Mixon did. Right. They won't. They do not know what to do with Kaepernick. They don't know, and no one in the NFL ever wants to step out and be a little bit take a risk ever. They don't want to do this. Wade Phillips. This is his book, right? This is page six on his book. I'm just going to read it. Yeah, a sec. Do I have a second? I got one second. Got I got one minute. I got literally one minute. 90 this, seconds. I got 90 seconds. Here we go. Let's hear. I was happy that my dad, Baum, had been the man he was, not just because of what he meant to football, but also because he was uniquely himself. You can't be that guy anymore in the NFL. You can't be a guy wearing a cowboy hat on the sideline unless it has a Nike swoosh on it. You can't wear cowboy boots on the sideline. You can't say what's really on your mind. Page six, Wade's book. We're talking to him in less than an hour. We're going to ask him about it. This is why Kaepernick is not signed. They don't know what to do with him when someone speaks your mind. Yeah, I don't know. Page six. I mean, guys speak their mind all the time. Do they? Yeah, they, there are guys who speak their mind. Of and course, they're there talking are. smack. Richard Sherman, da da da, stuff like that. That's not that real. Go out there and speak their mind. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think at some point he'll, he'll he'll get a job. I'm not naive to the idea that there are teams that he didn't turn off. A number of teams in the NFL. I think there probably is the case. Coming up next, Moose, we're going to talk to Scott Price. This was a yeah. really sad story, actually. Nick Bonaconti, of course the uh, Super Bowl champion twice over Miami Dolphins, dealing now with all dementia, some other horrible things. He wrote about him, heartwarming story. It's a heartbreaking story, not warming, heartbreaking yeah. story. We're going to talk to Scott Price coming up. Next. We'll do that next. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, fourth and final hour here on this Saturday morning, coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. 855-212-4CBS, your number to call. You got uh, Anthony and Duff across the way. John, with your updates. As um, we hit the guest line uh, to kick off our fourth hour, Maggie. Yeah, Scott Price of Sports Illustrated wrote a really just heartbreaking, very real piece about uh, former football hero, Nick Bonaconti. Um, You know, a story that's just complicated. Um, His rise to playing with the Miami Dolphins, winning two Super Bowls, the undefeated season, and then thinking that, you know, his son, Mark, who has been a quadriplegic for over 30 years after suffering a spinal cord injury in a football game when he was in college, that just added to the complications of his relationship with football and, and still always loved it and 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 never blamed it. And, and now we're seeing with Nick Bonaconti this sad turn of a story and a life that's just been... Uh, just a layered, you know, is one way to put it. it he's got neurodegenerative dementia, and um, it's it's sad. You know, there was a, a video circulating around earlier this week, Moose, of Nick Bonaconti. It's it's hard for him to do daily tasks, button a shirt, um, tie his shoes, tie a tie, things like that. It just seems so it's it, it's so heartbreaking to see someone who was so beloved and is so beloved struggle like that. And and Scott. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. You know, I know that you had written a piece about Nick Bonaconti. I believe in 2009 was the cover story. How did you find him then, and then how did you find him now? Well, well, actually, Maggie, uh, thanks for having me. Um, 
I, I wrote a story about Mark, Mark in 2009, but that was the first time I did meet Nick in 2009. And it, the, the story about Mark was sort of how he had rebuilt his life and, and based on um, – uh, along with a guy who he uh, who, who he hit that, that the, in the accident that, um, that caused him to be paralyzed. Um, and I met Nick at that time, and he was an incredibly dynamic – figure. I mean, he looked 15 years younger than his age at the time and, and uh, just, you know, knew everybody and w- was sort of the center of, of his world. This is a, a guy who's, who's as I, I, I dare say, aside from Byron Wizard White, um, had the greatest post-NFL uh, career or football, pro football career I've ever seen um, in, the, in the sense that he had four different pinnacles after a Hall of Fame career with the with the NFL. I mean, he was he was the president of U.S. Tobacco. He was a, a sports agent with over, for for over thirty athletes, including Bucky Dent and Mickey Rivers of the Yankees. Um, and then he was a, a, a broadcaster for twenty three years on HBO for Inside the NFL. And then and on top of that, he started the Miami Project with uh, co-founded it with Barth Green, neurosurgeon, uh, University of Miami, the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis. And over the years, Nick is, 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 is almost directly responsible for raising $450 million to, uh, in the fight to sort of, to, to basically cure spinal cord injury uh, and, and, uh, and in the fight against it. So he's had this incredibly dynamic, incredibly sharp, um, he, was the, he was the head of the Dade County Democrats for a while. Um, and when I met him, he was that way. Um, and then um, I hadn't spoken to him until last fall um, when his family reached out. And then, and then Nick called me and he called and, and, and left a message and said, hey, please call me back. And his speech was very sort of halting and soft in a way that just isn't Nick Bonacani. And at the end, he, he asked, you know, uh, I could hear him say to his, his wife, Lynn, how do you turn off the phone? How do, how do you hang up? And uh, he he had no idea, and so I met Nick um, and Lynn out at um, Pebble Beach. Um, uh, he was there doing um, uh, an event called the Legends uh, Invitational, which is this gathering of, of of former players and Navy SEALs, and it's incredible for an incredibly great cause. And Nick got up and at one point, you know, was on stage for 25 minutes, and he was unbelievable. I mean, he was he was. Uh, you know, uh, speaking off the top of his head, introducing people by name and title. Uh, a heckler s- said something to him from the crowd, and bang, he he responded wittily to the guy right right away. And so, if you looked at him then, you thought, "Boy, seventy-five years old, I'll take that." Um, except that, you know, he sort of teetered coming off the stage. And when I spoke to him beforehand, he was talking to me how lost he felt, and he he had just fallen down the stairs uh, uh, in his home in Long Island. Um, you know, was was outraged by that, and 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 has experienced a ton of falls. His left arm is is almost um, unusable at this point. And is 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 uh, in terms of uh, of motor um, um, ease of motor use. Uh, he's just had a, a terrible time. The problem with this story, or not the problem, but the problem with someone of of Nick Bonacani, who who suddenly seems, he said, to have taken five hundred thousand hits in his career. He's 75, six years old now, and and at that age, of course, age-appropriate uh, uh, decline in the brain is is absolutely uh, a matter of daily life, right. and certainly a factor. So, part of what what I thought this story was valuable about was two things. One is is that Nick is an outlier. He's not your normal player. This is a guy who has all 
the advantages of mentally and, and financially. He's also hooked up with a, a hospital, dealing with them every day. People uh, are there uh, essentially catering to him because, because he's done so much for them, and, and they should be. And, um, and yet even he's confused, and he's now in this search to try and find out what it is that's wrong with him. Uh, doctors all believe that football had uh, played a, a big factor, the amount of hits that he's taken – but of course, with, in Nick's case, it's incre- in, in, almost in, impossible to say specifically football did this because there are all these other elements of age and physical injury that are sort of complicating the the uh, the picture. Um, Scott, I, I'm curious, how is he handling it all? Um, you know, and and certainly the day in day out. But I mean, how is he handling everything? Is he is he regretful? Or does he think look back on things that and decisions that he has made? How's he handling this entire process? Well, you know, to me, you know, I I think it depends a little bit on the day. I mean, to me, Nick said, look. I, I don't know if, uh, you know, would I have played football um, if, if I'd known what I'd known? It was, I, I have no idea. I, it was my only way out. It was the only way in a, in a poor family to get a college education. And Nick is certainly fatalistic in many ways. Uh, you know, he says, you know, you, 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 everybody pays a price. You know, every, you know no, there is no free lunch. That's the classic Nick um, take on things. Um, I know uh, for the video for this, he said specifically, um, I wouldn't play football knowing what I know now. So it really depends. But overall, I think, look, he made the choices he made. And, and, and like a generation of men who went into coal mines and steel mills and other things, they knew they were taking some hits. They may not have known the exact cost of asbestos or, or injuries that came to them on the job, but they felt it was the sacrifice that was asked of them by society and their families to, to do what needed to be done. I will tell you, look, he's, he's definitely depressed. He can't golf anymore, and that was really central to Nick's existence. Um, after after playing, it gave him a, set, a social center and 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 a, a, a place to fuel uh, put his competitive sort of urges. Um, he is partnered by an incredible wife, his Lynn uh, Lynn, who really is, you know, they're the unsung people in this story. I mean, uh, the, the the families, the wives, the kids who are taking care of their parents. Because obviously the attention is always on the star football player, and uh, but it's the people and and but that person who's in the middle of that illness often doesn't understand what's happening to them or see it as clearly as the person who lives with them every day, and the person who has to organize visits to the hospital, uh, get up in the middle of the night, call nine one one for the many visits to the emergency room that Nick has made um, from all the falls he's taken. So um, he's incredibly fortunate to have a partner in. In his wife Lynn, um, and 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 again, yet even with that, um, he's um, he's struggling and he's confused, and 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 the fact is, is and that's one reason Nick wanted to do this story. He he said to me, in fact, I, I would say it's the main impetus for him. He and Lynn said, "Look, if I'm having this problem and Lynn is hovering over me, making sure things get done, can you imagine someone in the same situation who can't figure it out? Yeah. There are plenty of guys out there who." You know, aren't plugged in, uh, especially his generation. You know, they're not on the web. They, you know, they don't go to websites and know how to navigate, um, you know, the internet, uh, and and or don't have a great affinity for it. Uh, maybe they're divorced. Maybe they're living alone. Maybe they're cut off from their families. Maybe they're not really talking to their teammates that much. There are twenty thousand players who are covered by the concussion settlement, and you know, 
uh, right now there are maybe a thousand players who have been helped by the player cares uh, NFL various outreach uh, uh, programs and there are outreach programs for players they're definitely there but there needs to be more guidance for them uh, and, and there needs to be a significantly more aggressive outreach um, to help these players <laughs> through the system yeah and in some ways we're talking with Scott Price that, you know, Nick says he feels like forgotten a little bit. And I oh, think a lot of the players from that generation who are dealing with these issues feel like the NFL has forgotten about them. And, and, and let, let's be very clear about this. Nick Bonacani and that generation, late 60s, early 70s, believe they built the NFL, uh, the league as it is today, and they're absolutely right. Everything we think of about the NFL as a cultural phenomenon, not a sport, but as, as where it is in, in the society today, the dominant force, the Super Bowl, all began with these guys. When we think of the DNA of certain teams, the personas of the Steelers, the Dolphins, the Jets, the Raiders, it all comes from that era. And essentially, it's now coming home to roost. Those guys are the ones who feel, we built this game, pay attention to us. They, they understand they paid a price. There's, there's this weird uh, phenomenon when a story like this comes out, people will say, well, they knew what they were getting into. And, of course, that's absurd on one level in the sense of, um, you know, nobody knew about brain trauma like we do today. They know what they're getting into now. Right. There's, there's no question. But then they didn't. Was it a rough game? Was it a brutal game? Did you know you were sacrificing your body? Absolutely. Yes, they knew what they were getting into. But they had no idea that mentally they were going to be facing these debilities. And so that's an absurd take. And the fact is these players – do agree with that. Like they're, they, like Nick said, everybody pays the piper. I, I knew what I was getting into physically. But, you know, if I knew it, then, then and this is the, the, the reasoning, then the NFL and the powers that be also knew it. Take responsibility and be compassionate and reach out to us and make sure we can get through the system. Keep in mind, the system's complicated it's been, it's, it's, to begin with in terms of getting help from the NFL. Then there's the another layer of what's now medical and legal uh, uh, bureaucracies involving the concussion settlement. And you're talking about guys 60, 70 years old, who many of them are, are, are attacking this, these systems, these levers of bureaucracy with declining faculties. Right. So, so they're even less equipped um, and they're not necessarily trained. So the NFL and the team specifically, I think, have to be the ones who reach out to them because, and, and again, there are outreach programs, but, the NFL has to make it an imperative through the teams because the teams is what the is what the guys are loyal to. Uh, the teams are are the and the te- and their teammates and that logo is what they feel most comfortable with. Not necessarily the league, so it has to come through each individual team. And uh, but the league has to put the power behind it uh, to show that it's good and that they're going to that they're going to welcome players and make it as easy for them to get through the system as they can. Yeah, Scotty, you know, Nick is fortunate to have a lot of help, as you mentioned. Uh, Not many former players do or people that are in his position dealing with some of the similar symptoms that he's dealing with have that uh, across the country. So, I mean, that's a positive. I mean, overall, though, um, I asked you about his state of mind. What's What's the prognosis here moving forward for Nick? I mean, it's 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 further decline. I mean, to be quite frank, I mean, uh, he's, you know, he has options of, you know, going to, say, UCLA or some other places, do some experimental tests to find out um, what he's facing with, you know, CTE, um, uh, uh, you know, how much tau is, is actually 
on his brain and and clogging it up. Um, but there's no stopping it. Um, and and the fact is is that um, overall he's facing you know you know decline. There's no cure at this point, and there's certainly no reversing where he's in. What there is is, I mean, he can do physical therapy, he can do sure. occupational therapy. There obviously are you know the knowing what you have. I mean, there's a value to that, of course, because there's medications involved, and he's got prostate cancer and other things. You want to make sure of the right balance of medications. So, so it's incredibly valuable that he knows what he has, so he can have a comfortable day-to-day life. Um, you know, again, Nick is comfortably well off, uh, and he's got a devoted uh, and 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 incredibly bright partner looking out for him. But it's uh, it he's not happy. That's no, I, yeah. and Scott, the, the first symptom, does he remember the first symptom when he started to feel a decline? It's not necessarily the first symptom. I mean, I mean, it's more like Lynn, you know, saw it coming first. For for her, it was, you know, he was driving in Fort Lauderdale and, you know, she he, he was behind the wheel and she was, she was, um, uh, you know, in the passenger seat. Right. And, and, you know, driving is an extraordinary uh, um, experience of sensory, uh, you know, sort of a, a, a galaxy of, of, of sensory sort of in, uh, stimuli coming at you all at once, sounds, sights, turns, left, and it all sort of, a, you know, hit Nick at once, and he, he tried to make a left in an intersection and sort of bounced on a curb and, and, and didn't know what he was doing. And, and at the same time, though, you know, he was doing sort of the normal things, which was losing keys, uh, you know, forgetting appointments. But then it sort of began piling up. You know, suddenly he was calling from the gym and you know came home from the gym on a, on a freezing day, carrying his coat and just frustrated because he'd forgotten how to put on his coat. He oh. just couldn't figure it out. He couldn't figure out that that sequence that we just take for granted. Um, then he started, uh, you know, obsessing over food, staring at his plate. Um, and then the falls began. I mean, the falls have been devastating. I mean, trying to sit down in a chair and all of a sudden keeling over, not feeling pain when he fell over. And he's meanwhile covered in blood and cuts. He's, wow. He was he's he's obviously angry. And, you know, at one point uh, when he fell down the stairs and, and uh, just before I saw him, he was screaming, you know, I should just kill myself. It doesn't matter anymore. I don't think Nick is suicidal uh, uh, overall. I, I think that's more rage and frustration. But he said it. But I'm just saying, I I just I don't think he's that type of guy, and his family doesn't either. Um, uh, he, he, there's too much will to live in Nick. In fact, in fact, Nick is the guy who's trying to find the solution. I mean, he's not passively taking this. He really would like to figure it out. Um, but it alternates at times with. I know I'm going to degenerate from here. I know I'm going down, and and what's the use? So he he's whipsawed back and forth between that, and it's and it's extremely tough, and it's heart wrenching for all who love and know Nick to 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 not only see this happen, but to know the power of his will and what he's achieved in his life, and to know that he's feeling so frustrated now because he's been able to solve everything. He's been able to run through walls. He was an incredibly small linebacker, uh, 5'11", 220, and uh, he was the heart of the no-name defense that went undefeated. I mean, this and, and, and a brilliant football player, brilliant football mind. So it, it's it's heart wrenching on many levels. Yeah, and just you know, I hope that he knows you know the amount of good that he was able to do with the Miami project and being there for his son for all of those years that he can you know, help others who don't have the name recognition, the money, the resources. And but I just know how incredibly difficult that is as he's going through it. 
Scott, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank of you, course, Scott. if you want to read the article, and I, I would absolutely recommend that you read the piece. I feel lost. I feel like a child. The complicated decline of Nick Bonaconti. You can read it on the MMQB.com. Really appreciate it, Scott. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you got that. it. Scott Price. And the video that goes along with it, our producer Steve uh, flew to Florida and talked with Nick and his wife Lynn. It, that is fantastic as well. I mean, it, it takes you there. And, and Scott does such a good job of putting you there with Nick and outlining this story. I mean, Boost, you feel like your son becomes a quadriplegic. You think that is the toughest fight you are going to fight. Yes. And then you have this battle on your hands of your own health. It's sad. Very Coming sad. up later on this hour, we'll talk to Wade Phillips. Son of a bum. Um, lessons my dad taught me about football and life. Coming up, though, straight ahead, we'll do some tweets of the week. Moose and Maggie with you, CBS Sports Radio. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. All right, sign up to be an O'Rewards member today. Start earning instantly. O'Rewards members earn $5 back for every 150 points you earn. It's fast, easy, free, only at O'Reilly Auto Parts. See store for details. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every single day. Let's get to it. Some tweets of the week. All right, Joe Thomas confused uh, for coach by David Njoku at (laughs) Rookie Dinner. He tweeted out, Joe did. uh, Funniest moment of the night was when uh, David Njoku asked me if I was a coach. (laughs) You know, listen, That's they great. always say, like, the offensive linemen are the real anonymous heroes. <laughs> Truly anonymous. NHL, Temu Solani, great series. Uh, congrats, Edmonton and Oilers, for the great season. You guys will have a bright future. And Anaheim and Ducks, congrats. Proud of you. A lot of Wa- emojis. Washington Capitals, hardest message to send your support is what gets us through these tough moments. Thank you, Caps fans. You are the very best. Rock the red. Tough day. Tough day. For the Capitals fans and for Alexander Ovechkin and the rest of the team moving forward, major question mark. Ryan Smith, heck of a run. Edmonton Oilers, don't hang out your heads. It's only the beginning for this young, talented group. Exciting times awaits Oil City. Anaheim Ducks, that was a heck of a series at Oilers. Your future is bright. Best of luck. Okay. There you go. Good sportsmanship coming All from right, Celt Wiz, game six reaction. Marcus Morris, that game was crazy. Game seven. Jamal Crawford, even more impressive Then John's last shot was his mentality to keep attacking after a slow start with everything on the line. Mason Plumlee, best game of the playoffs. Yeah, Mason Plumlee is absolutely right. And Jamal Crawford, right. John Wall started one for nine in this game and ends up winning the game winner. Just a dagger three-pointer. All right, more NBA Frank Kaminsky. He's always fun on social media. Murder mystery podcasts are great time killers. See what I did there. Yeah, time killers. Uh Pau Gasol. Uh, great effort to close out the series. Outstanding job by everyone tonight. Very proud of our team. Hashtag Go Spurs Go. Hashtag NBA Playoffs. David Robinson. Go Spurs. Our Spurs took care of business tonight. Way to step up with a big game at Aldridge 12. Hashtag Go Spurs Go. San Antonio Spurs was quite the series. Nothing but respect had Rockets. Sam Decker. Uh, Red Nation. Next year we come back stronger than ever. I promise you that. Well, listen, I promise you'll lose. Well, Sam Decker can make all the promises he wants. We really want to hear from James Harden. This is the Moose and Maggie Show on CBS Sports Radio. Rolling right along here on this uh, Saturday morning, and it's our pleasure right now as we hit the uh, guest line and uh, welcome in Wade Phillips, uh, current defensive coordinator with the Los Angeles Rams. has a new book out. Uh, son of bum, lessons my dad taught me about football and life. Hey, Wade, Mark Malusis and Maggie Gray, thanks for a couple minutes this morning. You bet, yeah. 
Wade, uh, first and foremost, what what made you want to sit down and and pen this book? Uh, you know, what was the what was the motivating factor, the driving force? Uh, well, you know, we won the Super Bowl uh, with Denver, and they wanted me to do a book, and um, I really wanted to do a book about my dad, and uh, you know, he's the one that really got me to where I was, where I am, and in football and in life. So, and he influenced a lot of people, especially me, and. Uh, and I think there's a lot of good stories about him and him, he and I. So, uh, so we put it together. Wait, I really love how each chapter starts with a saying that your dad had or a quote that he had. You know, there are four things in life I know something about pickup trucks, gumbo, cold beer, barbecued ribs, you know, things <laughs> like that. Where you really get to feel like you're like, you know, him, like you're talking to him. <laughs> you say in the book that. You know, they kind of just don't make them like your dad anymore. In a lot of ways, that's by design because the NFL, and you say this right on page six of the book, you, you really can't say what's on your mind. You almost can't be yourself because coaches are like mini CEOs at this point. Do you feel like it's hurt the sport at all that a guy like your dad probably couldn't coach right now because maybe he's a little too honest? Well, a little bit. I just think it's, you know, it's so corporate. You know, the, you know everything has to be uh, – you know, I mean, you can't be Tom Landry on the sideline with a with a suit and and a, or Bear Bryant uh, with his little hat. I mean, you know, the, and of course, my dad wore a cowboy hat on the sideline. You know, he can't you can't wear one now unless he has swoosh on it. So right, it's uh, it's um, and like you say, there are like CEOs, which is you know, you have to say the right things, do the right things, and. Sometimes you're not completely honest with, you know, it's a lot of coach speak these days, which I don't know if it's good or bad, but that's the way it is. In some ways, does that trickle down into the locker room or do you feel like the locker room is still a place where you can be honest with your players and and your fellow coaches? Well, I think you better be honest with your players. You know, I think that's, uh, uh, that's really a key in coaching overall is, is, uh, you know, getting them to know that you're, you're honest with them, uh, and that—that's—I think that's an important thing for players to be able to know because they can trust you. Then that you're going to tell them the truth, whether it's good or bad. Now, Wade, how, how uh, that the last run with the Broncos, uh, where you're brought in and you're a wonderful defensive coordinator, defensive mind, and you've had an unbelievable career. How special was it that last run and and your defense really leading the way? Well, it, it was uh, especially special because, you know, the, uh, the way we played overall, it's still a team game, and uh, we had a lot of intangibles, especially with, uh, you know, with Peyton Manning being the leader. But, uh, yeah, the defense played tremendously well. And to win it all, it, you know, that's the top of your profession. That's all you can do is win it all, and there's no higher than that. So um, it was a tremendous co- accomplishment, I was glad to be a part of it. Wade Phillips is our guest. His book is called Son of Bum. Of course, his father, legendary coach, Bum Phillips. Okay, so, Coach, if I can, in some ways I think I can distill a little bit of your philosophy into kind of a, a, a not simplistic, but, but maybe. You're a player's coach, and it seems like by reading your book that that's something you got from your father, that you want the personalities and the skills of the players really to show themselves. And I'm just curious, at some point, though, you probably had to discipline some guy who was a total pain in the ass, right? I mean, could, did you ever have to take that approach, or did you always just let the guys be who they are? 
Well, uh, there's discipline involved, no, no matter what. I mean, it's discipline to to uh, learn learn the defense, know what you're doing, uh, do it the right way. Uh, you know, 100 uh, percent effort to the ball. You know, you have to be disciplined in a lot of areas. Uh, you'd rather you'd rather a player be self-disciplined. That's the best kind of discipline. But uh, but coaches have to do it at times, and and part of that being honest with people is telling them, hey. You know, you're not doing this. You're not doing this well enough. And, um, and, and you know, and tell them, hey, if you don't do it, you're, you're not going to make the team or you're not going to be able to play. You write in the book, using threats and kicking guys in the butt. I just don't think you get the most out of your team that way. How many other coaches do you think share that sentiment? Are you the exception to the rule, or do you feel like most coaches are like that? Uh, you know, I don't know. I think it's probably 50-50. Uh, you know, there's not a there's not a intimidate. You can't hardly intimidate uh, a player, especially a, a pro player these days. It's a grown man. Uh, sometimes has a guaranteed contract, uh, and those those kind of things. So I think you have to you have to coach them in a way that that you can motivate them, but you have to be honest with them, make sure that they get things done. Uh, and if they don't, well, then you have to have some kind of comeback. Wade. Uh- of all the defensive players that you coached over the years, what's the best defensive player you ever coached? <laughs> yeah, I've been asked that a lot of times. I, I, I think I had at least 30 guys in the Hall of Fame that I've coached, so <laughs> it's hard to pick out one. I, I did say um, because he was the really the dominant player of his time that Reggie White was certainly one of the best, if not the best, that I, that I coached. But, you know, I, I hate to slight you know Bruce Smith and and uh, Von Miller and, and Marcus Ware and Ricky Jackson and uh, on and on. You know JJ Watt, who I coached uh, a few years ago, and hopefully Aaron Donald, who's out here right now. Wait, I, I'm curious. You know, you've been a, a you know wonderful coach. Your your head coaching opportunities, right? And I know every situation's a, a, a little bit different over the years. Well, looking back on it, though, in a little retrospect, you know, what's the biggest difference? What would you have done differently as a head coach, as compared to what you've done as a defensive coordinator, if anything at all? Uh, win more games in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> if it was only you that know. easy, coach. Uh, and my my record overall isn't, isn't that bad in no. the season. So um, yeah, I mean we just we lost some close uh, playoff games that you know could have made a difference. And I think that that's when you tell if the guys are really good coaches how how well he does in the playoffs. And I wouldn't um, you know I wasn't that great in the playoffs. But um, you know looking at over overall, look back and say hey just do the best you can do and go from there. And that's that's what I've done. You write in the book about, you know, coaching for the Cowboys and just how that is, quite frankly, just different than coaching anywhere else, partly because the expectations, the the microscope that America's team, quote unquote, is under. Um, you know, when Jerry Jones, you know, when he was going to make a change from you to Jason Garrett, you asked him for one more game. You know, you wanted one more game to coach your guys. When he didn't grant that to you, how did that make you feel and how long did that stay with you? Uh, not long. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, you know, it was his decision. He's the owner. Uh, he uh, 
you know, I worked for him every day, every day uh, as hard as I could, and uh, he paid me for every day I worked. So uh, I don't have any, you know, I, I learned that in football way back that, you know, there's two kinds of coaches. Ones that have been fired and ones that are going to be fired. So, uh, so, uh, and it's happened to me uh, since. Uh, so, uh, you just do the best you can do and, and go from there. And then, uh, you know, you don't live in the past. Uh, you know, you, you create your own future anyway. So, uh, that's what you look forward to. Wade, from your experience with the Cowboys, is it different being associated coach in that team as compared to any every other team in the NFL? Yeah, I think overall, I mean, um, just just the you're under a microscope. It's it's kind of like being in New York, though. I mean, it's you know you have so much media attention. I think that's uh, that's similar up there in, in some some places, and then other places like Pittsburgh, who won forever. Um, you know, you know, there's a lot of pressure on them, although they've never changed coaches. So, um, you know, it's different in each city. You know, Wade, I work for Sports Illustrated is my day job. And, um, you know, we ran an excerpt of your book on on the website, which was your experience interviewing for the Washington job for a coordinator under Jay Gruden. Can you explain why that interview was different than any other one you've been to? Well, I did put in there that you know, I had uh, interviewed twice with Marty, Marty Schottenheimer. He'd been, you know, at least two, two to three hours. Uh, this one was a little different. Most of my interviews are not interviews. It's um, uh, people have known, known, played against me, or known what I've done. So most of the time, they just say, "Hey, if I get the job, you know, will you come with me?" Or you know that kind of thing. So sure. that that was really only unusual part of it was that um, you know that I did have to go on the board and. and you know, try to try to show what I, I knew about football, and uh, and I just the other part of it, I really didn't get to say all the things I wanted to say. But I think part of that was I wanted to be, I wanted the job really bad because my son's there, and it was something that you know, and, and probably messed it up because of that, because I wanted it too bad. Well, of course you knew because playing for your dad. But what I took away from that was that Jay Gruden had you breaking down film. <laughs> of your Texans team playing his well, Bengals team and yeah, winning, and he was yeah, showing all, plays where he yeah. beat you. I thought that was odd. Yeah, well, all interviews are different. You know, like I said, like I said, with Marty Schottenheimer, we were on the board and uh, didn't do as much film, but we were on the board and talked about every technique you could talk about for three three hours or four hours. One time I got the job, and the other time I didn't. So. <laughs> You know, Wade, Maggie, and I were talking about during the break. Um, you know, one of the the great stories about about your dad was about Earl Campbell um, and how uh, you know uh, you know he couldn't run the mile. And uh, yeah. and so, tell us tell us that story and your dad's reaction. Yeah, you know the the uh, strength and conditioning guys decided one year to that they were going to see if the players were in shape, that they would have them run the mile. Normally, you know, they run 40-yard dashes, 10 of them or 12 of them or 15 or whatever, to see what kind of shape they're in. Well, they decided that year that, that they were going to have players run the mile. And Earl Campbell, you know, was a 245-pound running back that wasn't a miler. And uh, <laughs> so he made about half half the way around, and, he, you know, he started cramping up and, pulled up and then of course the media just like they are now or anytime they all ran up to my dad and said bum bum what are you going to do Earl Earl didn't make the mile 
And he said, well, hell, if it's third and a mile, we won't give it to him. <laughs> <laughs> such a great story. That's such and a then, great and the, rest of the rest of it was, he said, but we'll give it to him the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. We'll, give it to him. we'll give it to him every other time, right? That's, That's hilarious. such a great story. You know, yeah. I guess, Wade, yeah. do you feel like you know players like Earl Campbell, we don't really talk about them as much uh, anymore. Is there other players that you feel like you coach that we just are not giving the recognition to that we should? Oh, wow. Uh, uh, there, I mean, Earl's in the Hall of Fame, so, I mean, he, he certainly is recognized. Uh, um, like I said, Reggie White was recognized. And the, the, the thing about Reggie was different, that he was, he was, he, he was, did the rookie show every year. I mean, he could, he could imitate anybody. Uh, he would imitate the coaches, Buddy Ryan, myself. I don't know how he could imitate me, but, um, but anyway, <laughs> Uh, he he could uh, Muhammad Ali. He did he he did the rookie show every year for us, and was really a fun guy to be around. So you know it's uh, um, a lot of stories. I guess I still have, but uh, maybe I'll write another book. There you I go. I think you have enough material for another book. You know, reading in here about J.J. Watt. Is it true that the draft room at the Houston Texans was fifty fifty on Watt? Yeah, I mean you know, and and rightfully so. I mean you know. Uh, the draft, we know, uh, you know, about 50% of the guys in the first round, uh, you know, do real well, about 50% don't. So uh, it was, it was uh, similar that way at that time. But, you know, a lot of them hadn't seen him as much as as, uh, as some of us had, had studied him. I can understand uh, that. You know, wait, I want to ask you a, a quickly here a question um, that's come up here. we got about a minute here, but – Okay. Uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick, right, is looking for work. You know, you've he's been in the league. You've coached. Uh, you know, you've seen him play. You know, are are you surprised that Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job yet? Uh, somewhat. I mean, you know, I, I know he he hadn't done as well the last couple of years, but uh, but you know, everybody's looking for a quarterback. You know, that's that's the only thing. Everybody's looking. Uh, everybody I know of that doesn't have one is trying to find one. So. Uh, I would be surprised if he didn't sign somewhere. Looking at him defensively, did it become easier to cover him in some ways? I mean, did he become predictable after that Super Bowl season? Oh, I don't know. I, I just think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not predictable, but, but uh, you know, you had to keep him from running the football and make him, make him be a pocket quarterback, and that's that's what everybody tried to do. But uh, But he still did some good things. Like I said, I'd be surprised if he didn't sign somewhere. Wade Phillips, uh, son of bum, lessons my dad taught me about football and life. It's a, a great book about family as well. Hey, Wade, a fantastic job. I mean, you're a wonderful head NFL coach, and good luck with the Rams this year, and, and the book is really enjoyable. We appreciate a couple minutes this morning. Yeah, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you, Wade. Fantastic job. With Vic Carucci from Buffalo News, which is great. We didn't get any Bills questions in. I don't want to relive that Music City miracle. It's fine. We're over it. I'm over it. Wade gave you. He said he'd be surprised. Barely. He doesn't have a job. He would be surprised. I would be surprised as well. Moose and Maggie, we'll talk to you next Saturday right here, CBS Sports Radio. Thanks for checking us out each and every Saturday morning on CBS Sports Radio and checking out our podcast too, Maggie. Yeah, and be sure to download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. It's the Moose and Maggie Show, CBS Sports Radio.